Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, Andrew Boy on Twitter at MMALOT, and joined as always by my guy, Cody Safdick. You guys can go over there and follow him on Twitter at CJ Safdick. And we are here propping you up for the big UFC 265 card, headlined by the interim uh, heavyweight title, actually, between Cyril Ghosn and Derek Lewis. Francis Ghosn going over there and playing in the stand, according to uh, Derek Lewis. But uh, I can't wait to see who pulls out the victory here so that we can get a proper matchup for Francis Ghosn, hopefully either by the end of this year or early next year but Cody what's going on my man how's it how's it been going yeah good man celebrated my 30th birthday so happy the first, belated happy yeah belated. and and the first one like 20 didn't matter 19 and 20 you're like happy to do it but this is the first one where you like take a step back and be like oh man uh, I wouldn't say midlife crisis but we're coming up on it so I don't want to make it all that far anyways so uh yeah yeah <laughs> it, it, things have been good last week's car was an absolute shit show Bellator thankfully saved the day but this week we get to come back to a, a proper offering good fights loaded top to bottom and you just look at the featured prelim is Rafael Fazi versus Bobby Green Green, sign me up. So I think that there's a lot of good spots here. The one thing... You smell that? You smell that on your end? I do, I do. I do. The shit in the room might be those Texas judges. But the judging all over has kind of been shitting in the pie recently for us. So knock on wood, everything goes smooth. The plays that we like go accordingly, and the judges get it right. Yeah, can you really bank on that, though? Let's just no, be a little bit no, honest. Let's be, no. let's be on the safe side in this spot as well. I am coming up on my 30th birthday as well in October, so I'm hoping that I don't feel like you. Hopefully, yeah. I'm a little bit more excited, but we'll see how it goes down. You're going to add. Yeah, I was going to say, if there's one thing that we can take away, my sleep schedule's been whack because uh, Olympic boxing, it's all like 1.30 in the morning, yeah. and the wrestling's like 6 o'clock in the morning. So, But the judging has been exceptionally good, you know? like They're, <laughs> they're getting the right calls, and this is Olympic judging we're talking about. You got five about. judges, right? Yeah, honestly, it's a great way of doing it. It's a great system. Uh, I've had a couple close ones this morning. I had this girl, she lost a point. Three rounds, right? Wins the first two rounds, loses a point in the third. So it's a 29-28. So they score it, a draw. But then one person has to advance. So they just ask the judges. They're like, well, who really won this fight? And like, well, the girl that won two of the three rounds won this fight. So she advances. Whereas the UFC would be like, push. I don't know. It'd be something stupid, right? So so all I'm saying is if they can get it right, surely Texas on this oh, one on, godforsaken Saturday. Give it to me, baby. Dude, don't get your hopes up. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm 30. I'm, I don't know why I'm still optimistic, right? <laughs> Skateboarding already... rubs me the wrong way now, but I'm optimistic the judges get it right. I feel like right after this stream, you're going to go out to your balcony or your porch and sit on a rocking chair, sip on your tea, and just have your spectacles on or something. That's how you're making 30 sound. God damn it. Feed, feed the birds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Before we get into the actual show here, we do have a little bit of an announcement in terms of the future of the show. Just to you know, keep it a little bit consistent for you guys and make sure you guys have something uh, to look forward to on a week-to-week -week basis. So obviously, Cody, obviously taking up a matchmaking spot over there at Z Promotions, obviously has a ton on his plate as well with his horses and dogger pass and everything that he has going on. So I don't want to keep scrounging this guy to, uh, you know, to make it a weekly thing, obviously. So what we've been planning and uh, what we're going to be doing moving forward now is our guy Cody is going to be joining us for every single pay-per-view episode that we have for propping you up. Uh, no set start time for that. We can stay a little bit flexible with that. I'm, I'm cool with that. It's Seems like a lot of people love this 10 a.m. early slot for some reason, yeah. so don't even mind that either. So it could either be Thursday night or Friday morning uh, that we're going to have Cody on for the pay-per-view episodes. But for fight night episodes, I'm going to be bringing in my guy here, 
John Gary, and you guys may know him from the Club and Sub podcast. Uh, one of my favorite dudes on MMA Twitter, probably one of my closest friends as well, I'd say outside of Z and Newsome, but I definitely do like my guy, John, here. So John will be joining me for the Fight Night episodes of Propping You Up. Um, that will be Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. That's going to be a concrete time that me and John are going to do for Fight Night Weeks or, or Fight Weeks where it's a, a fight night. So John, what's going on, my brother? Yeah, not a lot. Cody, first of all, congrats on the matchmaking spot. That's fucking awesome. Thank you. Um, and then, yeah, I, I'm excited to get into it. I promise when you do have me on that I will not be in this room with a bright sunlight <laughs> coming in over my shoulder. I just happen to be working right now. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm excited to do it. Uh, obviously, I love props, and I think me and you get along pretty well, so. Absolutely. When I was thinking about the short list of people that I actually have good chemistry with, you were definitely one of the guys that came to my mind, which was uh, like, okay, I can definitely lean on this guy. Cody, it seemed like you were going to add something there, brother. No, I was going to say, luckily for you, I've set the bar extremely mediocre at two out of three. <laughs> two out of three, right? So as long as you can just keep up the trend at a two out of three, you're going to do just fine, John. I got faith in you, buddy. For sure. Uh, another thing with John is he's a very good dog hunter as well, too. You guys are going to get some really good uh, knowledge from him. Just over the last two weeks, this guy's hitting Gritsmacher. This guy's hitting fucking uh, uh, Malcolm Gordon. This guy's hitting... Who's that other big dog that you have the other week? Holly and Paiva. Darren well, Green on Saturday. Bar <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's getting Bobby Green this weekend. If you guys actually want to hear his take on that, make sure you guys check out the Club and Sub yeah. podcast. I believe they did it Wednesday night, and he definitely made a good case for Bobby Green on that show, so make sure you guys go check it out. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, John is going to be jumping on the show starting on the fight night shows. I believe the first one will be the week of August 21st. So that's when you guys are going to see him. And then Cody will be back in the saddle for uh, pay-per-view events. Just something that we felt like was the best thing to do for this show and to keep it consistent on a week-to-week -week basis. John, is there anything you want to say on the way out here, brother? Uh, no, just you can catch me on uh, Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern on the Club and Sub podcast, on the Club and Sub podcast YouTube. And yeah, that's it. I'm excited to get into this every week. I'm pumped. Hell yeah. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter. His uh, handle is right there under his face. Uh, MMA Fox. Make sure you guys go follow him. And yeah, again, first episode will be the week of August 21st. John, thanks for uh, taking out a couple minutes here Later, just to guys. introduce yourself to the uh, to the crowd. And I'll be sure to see you the week of August 21st, my brother. Take it easy. Sounds good. Take it easy, guys. All right, Cody. Let's What's not up? waste any more fucking time, dude. Let's get into 13, this fucking baby. card, man. We got, 13, we got 13 fights. We got some juicy props here that I want to get into. First and foremost, we're going to start off with Johnny Munoz Jr. going up against Jamie Simmons. Minus 310 now on Johnny's Munoz. The steam is starting to come in even more. I saw him at minus 270 yesterday. Plus, two, plus 255 is the return on Johnny Munoz. We got a matchup between two grapplers here, right? One a wrestler, one a jiu-jitsu player. A jiu-jitsu phenom, apparently, right? This guy pretty mm. much grew up on the mats here in Johnny Munoz. Jimmy Simmons, on the other hand, I believe he has high school and a college wrestling background. But, you know, it's not really translating the best to MMA in terms of what we see in terms of his potential, right? Comes into the UFC, probably the worst <laughs> matchup you could possibly have in your UFC debut, going up against a guy like Giga Chikadze, who just knocked his head into the fifth row. Uh, but we know that Jamie Simmons requires getting his wrestling going to have success. However, that falls right into the death trap of Johnny Munoz, who wants his fight on the ground. And I'd be surprised to see Jamie Simmons attack that wrestling early in this fight. I feel like he's going to take that wrestling style of a striking approach, which is just, you know, those big winging hooks, blitzing forward, and trying to knock your head off and then eventually later in this fight try to get into the to the grappling and the wrestling and trying to control Munoz in the spot however I actually think that Munoz has the better gas tank in the spot I think that Jamie Simmons is going to struggle if he tries to use his wrestling I think he's going to struggle to uh, keep top control and try to grind this fight out I believe we'll see Johnny Munoz hit reversals hit uh, uh, maybe even a submission off of his back and even when this fight is on the feet I feel like Munoz brings a little bit more to the table in terms of versatility of strikes compared to the again kind of rudimentary style of striking that we see 
from Jamie Simmons. So I completely understand the chalk on Johnny Munoz here in terms of the 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 way that I'd look to approach it. I feel like the under is not too bad of a spot under two and a half at minus one thirty five covers the Jamie Simmons early bomb and then obviously covers the the main prediction that I expect, which is Johnny Munoz by sub. So if you want to look at specific props here, uh, Munoz by submission is currently sitting at uh, plus one seventy five. I don't mind that line at all, considering that's probably his best pass to victory. However, there's always that chance that he gets goes for the gro- uh, ground and pound instead of the sub, and the TKO is a plus 500. So let's just stay safe. Just take the inside the distance, plus 115. I think that's a really good line here, especially for a minus 310 favorite, especially somebody who expect we expect to go out there and get the finish here. Cody, do you echo my sentiments here, or do you think that Simmons has way more of a shot than that plus 255 indicates? No, I agree with you. I think that uh, John Moon is a guy that probably learns very quickly. As you mentioned, he's a jiu-jitsu phenom. He's technically won world titles as a blue belt, purple belt, and brown belt. No real success as a black belt, but that's because he's not really doing competitive jiu-jitsu anymore. He's into MMA. Got his black belt by age 20. So that in itself just shows you, I mean, he's obviously very skilled. When you watch any of the tape of him coming into the UFC, man, can't strike. Wrestling, very lackluster. So coming into a fight with Nate Maness, who obviously you and I are very familiar with, former TKO champ, that's a tough spot for him. But all the same, his striking looked vastly improved. He outstruck Nate Maness. He scored two takedowns. He should have won that fight. He got a point deducted from him in the third because of a low blow. Still should have won the fight. And they ended up giving it to Nate Maness. So, I mean, tough spot for him. But all the same, young prospect, loses, go back to the drawing board. Not going to hinder him. Decent enough performance. But what I liked was the development in his striking that we hadn't previously seen on tape. So this is another continuation of that. I think that the striking advantage should go towards Jamie Simmons. But I I don't think Munoz is going to be totally out of his element. And when the fight does hit the ground, and eventually it is going to hit the ground, he should style up on him. So when you look at Johnny Munoz, typically he is a finisher, right? And he's finished the fights on the ground in a bunch of different ways. He's got a rear naked chokes. He's got arm bars. He's got a heel hook. And obviously he likes that ground and pound TKO as well. So once this thing hits the ground, I do see him ending it inside the distance. And if for whatever reason, Jamie Simmons did come and clip him, like you said, both of those trend towards that under two and a half at minus 135. So that's something that I'm looking at as well. And uh, something that probably wait the hour after the show is done and watch the weigh-ins because both of them are dropping down to 135. But in Munoz's case, career 35-er took one fight against Nate Maness at 45, but Nate Maness is also a 35-er. Simmons, meanwhile, career 45-er, mostly fights at 45, fought Giga at 45, and now he's going to have a full camp. He's going to be down a weight class at 35. He could come in looking bigger. He could come looking in fresh. At least, you know, have an eye on it. Might not even make weight. Who knows? All I'm saying is one more thing that you could look at. But uh, I, I agree with both assessments. The two props that I looked for this one was at under two and a half. And uh, the Jamie Simmons, uh, sorry, the fight doesn't go the distance, minus 135. The Jamie Simmons under two and a half, plus 100. And Munoz inside the distance, plus 125. Those are all the points that you hit. You don't think it's going to go the distance, so let's hit doesn't go the distance, minus 140. Under 2.5 is even better price at plus 100. I agree. I don't think it makes that 2.5. And And then we both got Munoz. Not 100% sure if it's the submission or the knockout, so let's just take inside the distance at plus money, plus 125. So same page pretty much on all your points, man. I love it. I love it. Uh, just a quick comment here. Oh, snap. It's Mikey. We'll comment so you guys see more YouTuber on Twitter. Uh, I would highly suggest coming on over to the YouTube stream. There's definitely way more chatter going on in the comment section there. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Victoria Leonardo welcoming Melissa Gatto to the UFC. We got minus pretty much a pick actually here. Minus 110 on either side. We've had Victoria Leonardo initially as a plus 125 dog earlier in fight week and money has steadily come in and I wouldn't be surprised if she goes off as the favorite once the fight actually goes down. Uh, Melissa 
Delgato, you know, last fight, I believe 2018 on the regional scene where she uh, actually Kimura'd Carol Hosa, who's actually doing pretty well in the UFC right now. But I believe that, you know, the pr product that we're seeing right now with Carol Hosa is much better than what we saw back then uh, when she was going up against Melissa Gato. Not to mention, to get that type of Kimura where she's the one, you know, getting taken down and then clamping onto that arm is kind of impressive. However, Outside of that, it doesn't really see, seem like she brings much to the table. Uh, in terms of her striking, it seems like she just has a light kick. You know, it seems more so that she's just trying to set up an eventual takedown. And she seems a little bit too comfortable in terms of just falling to her back and letting her uh, opponents control her, which is not a good look. Even though Victoria Leonardo is only a purple belt, I, seem, I believe that she's sufficient enough on the ground to stay out of any submissions from Melissa Gato in this spot. And if this fight stays on the feet, I think that Victoria Leonardo has more tools to get it done. I actually think that this could look similar to uh, Victoria Leonardo against... Uh, Chelsea Hackett to a certain extent. I know Hackett's a striker compared to the grappler here that we have with uh, Melissa Gatto, but I think that we'll see Victoria Leonardo be a, get stronger as the fight goes on, and I believe we're going to see Gatto fade. Lost in a lot of the breakdowns here is that Melissa Gatto actually accepted USADA suspension even before she made her U uh, UFC debut. So probably not the greatest look before coming into the UFC, and you got to believe that we're going to get a de deteriorated version of her, and I do think that uh, Victoria Leonardo has all the chops in the world to go out there and make this a tough night. So this is actually one of the uh, first spots so I'm going to be looking on the card for a potential round three prop as I do think that Leonardo, like I said, will get stronger as the fight goes on and should has an should have an opportunity to win this fight either TKO on the feet or a ground and pound here as well. Plus 1475 for Leonardo in round three. Uh, Leonardo by TKO plus 550. Uh, I, I'm I'm going with that. I'm going with Leonardo on this spot. Am I not giving enough justice to uh, Gato in this spot or do you like Leonardo here as well? Yeah, I didn't mind Leonardo when she was plus money because, again, this is a dogger pass type yeah. fight. It's 50-50. The only thing that we could go on Gato is pure speculation. If you look at the tape, it's not exactly very pretty. Yeah, she beat Carl Rosa, who's 3-0 in the UFC now. Carl Rosa's like 6-1 in her last seven fights, that one loss being a Gato. That in itself is impressive. But some of that other tape, that City Roca fight, pfft, she didn't win that. That wasn't yeah. a draw, sorry. That was like, yeah, she what, lost what all, was that? She how lost did, all three rounds. She got taken draw? down eight times. How the fuck is that a draw? That makes no sense. And, and, you, and you mentioned it. She just has a, an acceptance on her back. She just yeah. like lies there. You know, She's not scrambling to get back up. She's looking to exchange grappling. The Carol Rosa fight, Carol Rosa is bombing her with the striking and for whatever reason initiates both takedowns, the second of which lands her into a triangle choke which sets up the Kimura and then she has to submit to it so uh, again what have we seen from Gato not enough Leonardo's very strong she's someone who trains with Andrea Lee on the regular and whereas there's definitely holes in her game she's going to be able to overcome these green fighters or these you know look talk about the layoff talk about the ring runs talk about the USADA suspension talk about the fact that the tape doesn't look good I brother I agree with you on pretty much all your points but I'm the kind of guy that kind of leans toward narrative a lot of the time. And, and then this is my narrative on this one. So she's only 25 years old. A three-year-long layoff doesn't mean anything. In fact, she would have made a vast amount of improvements over the course of those last three years. It's just we haven't been able to see any of it because she hasn't been competing. But routinely, you see this happen with Brazilian fighters in particular. And a lot of the time, women Brazilian fighters, they come over with awful-looking tape or tape that you can't even review. It's non-existent, right? They come to the UFC, they're underdogs, they're not expected to do much, and out the gate, it's like, oh man, they're way stronger than you expected. They're way faster than you remembered. They're way evolved all around. The last time we were watching her fight Carol Rosa, right? She's 21, 22 years old. Now she's 25. It seems like she has been working on her grappling a lot, working on her jiu-jitsu, working on her wrestling. Striking maybe has come over a little bit. I would say that Victoria Leonardo is just... Uh, a mid-level fighter, right? She hasn't shown us any improvements. You mentioned the Chelsea Hackett fight. She got rocked in the Chelsea Hackett yeah. fight. You know what I mean? So she was able to come back and win that spot. 
But against Gato, I'm not so sure. The last point I want to touch on was you mentioned that you think Gato is going to gas out and uh, maybe be susceptible to a third round fish. Entirely possible, my man. One, just, I just I don't know. How do we know that she's going to gas out? How do we know she has cardio issues? The one thing I could go back to is let's talk about that Roka fight where we both agree she lost and we both agree she got, you know, controlled, but cardio didn't look bad. You know, if anything, Roka was completely gassed yeah, she out. She looked out of it. Whoa. I'm still getting takedowns, so that's troublesome. That's very troublesome. But in this spot, what's Leonardo going to do? Get the takedowns? Hopefully Gato, as a 25-year-old fighter who spent the last three years training her craft, has been able to get over the hump and make those improvements. So, again, dude, all I'm going is on speculation. That's not a great way to go it, but I think the way I would attack this one on a prop standpoint is the over 1.5, minus 180. Not a great price tag, but again, I think that I, both of them are going to need a round and a half to get going. Either Victor Leonardo, like you said, does tire her out and TKO her late. You're thinking third round. Okay, well, my over one and a half is going to hit. If Gato has her way, she could maybe run through. If she's made that many improvements, she runs right through Leonardo. If she hasn't made any improvements, she still hangs around for that over one and a half. So the minus 180, not a great price tag, but I think that thing hits. But if I was going to do a little sprinkle on anything, I think I'm going the Gato inside the distance, plus 150. I think that uh, if anything, she's going to have made improvements improvements the strike will be a little bit better and at some point this thing's going to hit the ground she'll get on top and hopefully snag up a submission so um if i always say one last thing gotta say is that you, you you'll know this you're the man carol rose is a black belt isn't she I, i'm not 100 sure actually now that i'm thinking about it. like mainly she's a striker right she goes out there and just fucking strikes yeah and i remember when she fought laura procopio i thought for whatever reason they were both black belts even though they're not like high level or anything like that i thought they were both black belts but regardless, I feel like Carol Rosa's grappling is pretty solid. And this girl's a listed purple belt. Even now, three years off, she's still a listed purple belt, right? Yeah, but sorry. I, according to her Instagram page, she is a BJJ black belt. Right. And so Carol Rosa got subbed by this girl who would have been like a fucking blue belt. A 21-year-old blue belt subs her, takes three years off. Turns out she's on the GAC, but whatever. She's only 25. She's not over the hill. Now she's coming back. Like, if she just even made some improvements, she's so totally live here. So, as a favorite, didn't like her, but she's being bet down to the underdog. Tempted. Tempted. But again, the way, the way I go is the over one and a half to be as safe. And if you wanted to get ballsy with it, my opinion was the other side. Gatto inside the distance. I gotta say, I think <clears throat> returning, uh, referring to steroids as GAC is probably one of my favorite things I've heard in a long time, and I might have to steal that one from you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Alright, let's move on to the next fight. A fight that we're actually supposed to get on July 17th. Now we're getting it due to Anderson Dos Santos initially testing positive for COVID, and now we uh, luckily they did reschedule the bout, so you know, the training camps don't go to total waste. We got Miles Johns coming in at minus 200, Anderson Dos Santos at plus 170. Relatively the same odds from the last time that they were actually supposed to go down and my thoughts really haven't changed about this fight i know miles johns uh, you know wrestler decent striker you know again kind of rudimentary wrestling type of striker but has a little bit more tools in his pocket than a guy like jamie simmons in my opinion um speed obviously i do believe he has a bit of a cardio issues when he's getting pushed in his fights we've definitely seen him slow down in the past especially in his fight against cole smith here with Anderson dos santos obviously bjj black belt has a nasty guillotine as martin day found out last time around and uh, a lot of his other opponents in his previous fights but it seems like he's almost accepted the fact that he's never technically going to go out there and beat a guy just trying to technically outstrike them and look for his opening or takedowns. It's on him to go out there and try to create some chaos and try to capitalize on that. And I feel as though he should be able to do that here against Miles Johns if he's able to survive in, uh, early in this fight. You know, I feel like Miles Johns could absolutely blast his head into orbit with the perfectly timed shot at the beginning of this fight. But I believe that the more that it uh, goes on, I think Anderson Dos Santos might put up a little bit more of a fight and it would cause Miles Johns to kind of 
get into desperation mode a little bit, right? If we like, it kind of reminds me of Haniyaya in a sense, where he just goes out there and throws bungalows on the feet because he doesn't care about getting ta- uh, taken down because he knows that's his realm. And I feel like that's the same thing here with Anderson Dos Santos, especially later in this fight. Miles Johns could absolutely take him down early in this fight as well and kind of grind him out early. For me, it's more so the later and the deeper this fight goes. If he can't get Dos Santos out of there, I think he's going to struggle a little bit later. And again, Dos Santos has kind of accepted the fact that needs to create chaos to to have success and i think that he's going to be able to do that in the third round of this fight i think he'll be able to survive the early onslaught he might be down going into that third round but i feel like he's just going to let it loose in the third round maz john might uh go out there and shoot a desperation takedown might jump himself into a guillotine of some sort or even eventually get reversed when he's on the ground uh but at minus 200 i'm not completely sold on maz john's at this point i still need to see a little bit more from him anderson dos santos again he was at the 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 grasp or the 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 unfortunate circumstance of being 0-2 in his career before going to the Martin Day fight. And we've seen time and time again, or at least over the last several events, where guys are 0-2 in the UFC and then they've notched that victory in the third UFC fight when people are absolutely writing them off. And I believe that's what happened with uh, Dos Santos in his last fight. I believe he was a slight underdog in that fight as well. I'm expecting him, again, he's probably going to get wrecked in the first two rounds of this fight, but I think he has enough uh, uh, ammo in the tank to go out there and possibly pull off something in the third round. So possible live betting opportunity if that's something that you guys are into. But in terms of props you know i like dos santos here possible dos santos round three uh where is that where are those odds there we go uh santos round three plus two thousand worth a little bit of a sprinkle in my opinion and then uh santos via sub plus 650 definitely worth a little bit of a shot in my opinion as well i feel like you're going to give a little bit more credence to miles johns here how do you feel about this matchup yeah listen as far as chasing long props yeah th- that makes a lot of sense right plus two thousand geez who wouldn't want some of that plus two six fifty like it's all very tempting but I-, I gotta side with miles john that's who i picked the last time and then what's changed what's changed is that anderson dos santos tested positive for covid he's had to probably take a week or two to quarantine and then now they're rebooking the fight. So I feel like if anything, it plays towards Miles John. I'm not going to flip the pick, the pick on that one. Uh, agree. Again, agree with a lot of your assessment, right? Miles John does seem to have suspect cardio. When he was in the contender series against Richie Santiago, pfft, gassed in the third round, right? Yep. When he was fighting Cole Smith in the UFC, ooh, gassed in the third round. The Mario Batista fight, whatever. It's a flying knee. Like, shit happened. Yeah. But to his credit, the Kevin Natividad fight, whereas a lot of people expected him to gas in that third round, he just kept coming after him, right? He ends up knocking him out in the third, and that's a solid performance from him. Keep in mind, for a guy that apparently has cardio issues, he did go five rounds with Adrian Yanez yeah, in the fight before coming into the UFC. So, mm. Again, he kind of looked tired of that fight, but he still went five rounds, right? So does he have cardio issues potentially? Is it the bright lights of his first contender series? Dane is there. The next fight with Cole Smith, UFC debut. He's only 27 years old. He's at a very tough gym, a gym that you got a ton of respect for, and I do feel like he's making some solid improvements out there every time out. So if his cardio eventually carries, he's got a lot of uh, solid skills. As you mentioned, he's a wrestler boxer. His wrestling is not elite, but it's definitely good enough to beat a lot of these guys mid to low level of the division. His boxing, certainly not elite, but again, he's going to be able to get away with it a lot of these mid to lower level guys of the division. The fact that he can mix it up is key because he can dictate where he wants his fight to go down. I wouldn't recommend grappling with uh, Dos Santos, I wouldn't. I'd recommend using that wrestling, stuff the shots, keep it standing, out volume from the outside. But if you needed to, if you needed to steal around late, if you needed to grind on this guy against the cage, at least he has the ability to do so. With Anderson Dos Santos, it's nothing that I... You know, it's no disrespect to him, but I'm going to key in on the fact that he's just way too low volume. You look at his debut against Nadine Aramani, who, yeah, is tough, all right? I got a lot of respect for the guy. Most people probably don't, 
the former Cage Warriors champion, built like a brick shithouse, strong guy. It's the numbers, man. He gets outstruck 84 to 46 and gives up the lone takedown, drops a decision. The Andre Ewell fight. Well, that one's understandable because Andre Ewell's just super long-limbed. But again, man, 35 significant strikes landed. He did get two takedowns, but just did nothing with the two takedowns. So he gets outstruck 35 to 73. Again, this is the second time he's been doubled up. And then this Martin Day fight, it just doesn't really last long enough. He looked good. He looks solid. He was coming forward. Uh, he snagged up the guillotine choke. Look, looks solid. But Martin Day is 0-4 in the UFC and then has since been released. So you do have to take it with a slight big grain of salt. I think in this fight, if Miles John just keeps the fight standing, he's going to outpoint him. Regardless of his own cardio issues, I think that A, he is shoring it up a bit. And that B, he's made enough improvements, hopefully, to uh, to just be able to control two of these three rounds and then not get finished in the third. So I am going to go with Miles John. I keyed in on that Miles John by decision at plus 120. But you mentioned this point very briefly, and I will mention it as well. Miles John's not totally, it's not totally impossible that he gets a knockout, which is plus yeah. 300. And the reason I say that is Anderson Dos Santos has looked durable in the UFC, but prior to coming to the UFC, if you watch any of his regional show stuff, not all that durable. You know, he had been knocked out by Victor Henry. He got knocked out in the second round by Andrew Whitney. That's uh, Tisha Torres' last boyfriend before she officially switched to the other team. Wow. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Cody with the TMZ scoop here. (laughs) He's actually fighting tonight. (laughs) But yeah, I know, I know. But anyway, what's his name uh, again? Sorry, Andrew Andrew Whitney. Andrew Whitney. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, uh, he got knocked out by Justin Aldo Silva. That was jungle fights. He got finished in the first round by Edward Souza, fifty-five seconds. So all I'm saying is that yes, Yule couldn't put him out, but Yule's not really much of a finisher. Nan Naramani couldn't put him out, but. And Nermani's not much of a finisher either. And Miles John falls in the same category. He, he is not not much of a finisher. But he lands solid shots. Richie Santiago had a hell of a chin to take those shots. He also did score a knockdown against Santiago. And then his last fight against Natividad, the fact that it's a third-round knockout shows the power starting to carry. He's starting to get more experience. He's 27. He's now had three fights in the UFC. He's starting to get more seasoned. I expect just a better version of him every time out. Whereas Anderson Santos, as tough as he may be, he's he's kind of the same level for me. So, again, the two props I'm looking at, well, actually, just the one prop. I think I'm going to end up going with the Johns by decision plus 120, but I've done this before, is I would put $100 on uh, Johns by decision, $100 on Johns by knockout. If Johns wins by decision, I win $20, no big deal. If Johns wins by knockout, sweet, I won $200, good times. If, if Johns loses, which I wasn't, you know, not that it's not impossible, but I... I thought we were both kind of on the same page with Miles John. You're you bringing up the fact that you think that he'll tire out and it'll be a live spot for DeSantis third. Certainly gives me cause for concern. I'll wait for the weigh-ins before I make my final uh, decision on that one. But if anything, yeah. I mean, probably just John's by decision is probably the, the, the smarter play, right? Uh, just a heads up for most people that are looking to watch the wins. The wins are actually going down as we speak since oh, they're in Houston. Uh, they, they do have them a little bit earlier just because of the time zone difference. Uh, they should be wrapped up by noon Eastern as well. So uh, apparently somebody already messaged me and said Jose Aldo looks great on the scale. So we'll talk about that a little bit more when we actually get to that matchup. All right, Good. let's get on to the next fight here. We got Manel Cop going up against O'Day Osborne. And interesting that we just brought up the wins because this is going to be Osborne's first trip down to 125 pounds. However, it doesn't look like he really carries that much weight apparently he came into that brian kelleher fight on short notice at like 130 something pounds uh, he was already ready to go for that fight so um i don't think it'll be a crazy cut for him to get down to this weight class seems like a long lanky guy that seems like he has all the physical capabilities to be a very solid fighter right like it's just about putting it together however 
we still need to see more of this guy, right? He has uh, only two fights that have gone the full 15 minutes. He's one and one in those spots. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not able to find any tape on it, so I can't really see how he looks going into those later rounds. Uh, so it's almost just an assumption that he's going to slow down the later that this fight goes. But this has got to be his toughest test to date. I know he's lost to his lost his UFC debut against Brian Kelleher, but Manal Cap, you know, even though on a downswing, and I just talked about it in one of our prior um, uh, breakdowns, 0-2 in the UFC to start, right? Back against the wall. We know what Manel Cap at his best brings to the table. The guy goes out there and he collects scalps. He goes out there and gets knockouts. He gets people out of there. I'm expecting to see vintage Manel Cap this week, and I think he's actually going to reverse his fortunes. I think he's going to come in with a little bit of a fire in his belly, especially with the fact that he has his back against the wall and he could potentially get cut, right? This could be the biggest flop in UFC history, not to mention from somebody that's coming over from another pretty decent organization with as much hype as Manal Cap had. Um, but I think that Ode Osborne falls right into the category of guys that he can go out there and knock out. The spot that I like in this matchup the most, actually, and I made it my dog of the night play, is the under 2.5 at plus 120. I think there's going to be some violence in the fight. this fight from either side. I think Ode Osborne could potentially get a finish, but I do think it's going to be on the Manal Cap side to go out there and find that chin of Ode and eventually get him out of there. I'm not super impressed with Ode. I think his takedown take defense isn't the greatest. Sure, he has a couple subs off of his back, but I'd be very surprised if he's able to pull off a sub here against Manal Cap. Uh, and then again, in the striking realm, I, I like the kind of wildish style of Ode at times, but I do think that Manal Cap will be able to capitalize on that, find the chin and put his lights out. So uh, yeah, th this is one of those prime spots, in my opinion, where the public perception of Manal Cap is kind of low, which is why the line continues to drop. I saw him at like minus 220 earlier in the week. Uh, then he got down to minus 180 last night. Now he's backed up to minus 200 this morning, it seems like. So there seems to be some solid love coming in for Manal Cap and actually realizing that this guy has some potential. And you know, you you could make a case that he won the last fight against Mateus Nicolau. I, you know, I thought that third round was very close. I thought it was like three to three and a half minutes of solid success from Matthias Nicolau, and then slightly more success from Manal Cap, but just not enough time of that success in that third round. And it, in my opinion, it truly came down to, uh, you know, how you scored that third round. But again, very close fight. The Pantoja fight, another fight that I felt like he kind of slipped through, uh, let slip through his fingers by kind of just being, you know, uh, wowed by the the big lights and uh, cameras of the UFC scene. But now that he realizes that. He's probably never going to fight in the UFC again if he gets an out uh, this weekend. He's going to come out over with a fire that we haven't seen in his last two fights, and I think he finds the knockout in the spot. So the props I'm looking at, like I said, under 2.5 covers the finish from either side here, uh, but Manal Cap by KO plus 210, not too bad of a spot. He could potentially get a, a submission as well, in my opinion. Plus 1,200 for Cap by submission, I think is absolutely crazy, but I wouldn't mind just going with the safe route with just taking Cap inside the distance, plus 180 to cover both outcomes, but I might have to sprinkle a little bit on that submission prop because I definitely think that's something that he can snatch up here. Am I blowing too much smoke up uh, Manel Caps' ass or do you like uh, do you think that he actually gets to finish in this spot too? I'm actually really impressed that you brought up the submission prop side of things because no one else does and it's totally live. It's totally live in that when you watch him fight in Japan, he's wearing shoes all the time, right? He wears the wrestling shoes and that's because as much as he is a slick striker, he likes to grapple. He's a BJJ brown belt and he's very strong, very physical with his takedown games. In the Pantoja fight, right? Look at the takedowns he scores over Pantoja. Like, unbelievable but with 10 seconds left in the round what are you doing why, why wouldn't you have done this earlier maybe because he doesn't want to grapple with a high level black belt like alexander pantoja when you look at him versus matus nikolaus it's like oh geez why not want to grapple with nikolaus nikolaus trying to grapple you right you don't probably don't want to grapple with this guy as well bjj black belt in the oday osborne fight like he is live to use his own grappling and could be very successful with it so the fact that that prop is so big 
I agree. Yeah, and, and I agree with a lot of the points. However, I did end up going with the decision side of things. What I do agree with is that, yeah, the UFC paid a lot of money for this guy. He was a highly titled prospect. When he came over, he hadn't fought in like a year and a half. There was a long layoff between his last fight in Japan against Asakura and his debut in the UFC against Pantoja. So ring rust, debut, bright lights, all those things. He could have won that fight. He's actually a favorite over Alexander Pantoja. Yeah. who's sick, right? This, that's how much faith people had in him. And he could have won that fight, but he just stared at him. No, no activity, bad fight for him, he loses, but it was still relatively close, to be honest with you. And then the fight with Matus Nikolam, I did score for him. I did think he won that fight. You know, Again, very close. Uh, both of those guys are vastly better than Odie Osborne. Now, I'm, I'm, I'd like to see Odie Osborne at 125. That's neat. I think that he's going to have a really long frame for the division. I think that he's going to be a lot stronger at the division. Uh, this is probably the weight class he deserves to be in. We'll see. Once we're done the show, I'll check with the weigh-ins and uh, analyze how good or bad he looks. It doesn't matter. The fact is, it's a better weight class for him. But I can't just... People are looking to blindly fade Cap. Oh, he, he, Cap is crap, right? He's, he's a busted prospect, which is a good one, by the way. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, it just works itself out. You're going to not throw any punches. Um, but at the same time, he was a good prospect. They are paying money for him. And like you said, he doesn't realize his back against the wall. People are just looking to blindly fade this guy because he's a busted prospect. But I think that the skill is there, and I think that this is his time to go out there and show it. And you mentioned a lot of guys 0-2. You're right. It's all about styles make fights. We've seen guys 0-3, you know, Bruno Silva. This guy's a write-off, yeah. but give him the right matchups. And he's learning a lot in those losses. Well, why is Bruno Silva learning so much in his losses? Because he loses to legit guys, good guys, and gives them a run as well. That's what I think about Cop. He's lost to two good guys, and he gave both of them a run. He's going to be making some improvements. He's going to be feeling better. I think he gets the job. Where I do disagree with you is that I think it goes to decision. Odie Osborne's never been knocked out. The submission thing does, you know, that that intrigues me only because Odie Osborne has been finished a few times by submission, but he's never been knocked out. I think he's got a pretty good chin. He's definitely comfortable as a striker. If he gets tired later on in the fight, well, then he'd be susceptible to the knockout. But Cop has shown us through two fights yet his volume isn't actually all that good so i do do i expect it to be better here yes do i think he's got legitimate power yeah he's got legitimate power but i don't know that he finds a chin and i don't think he knocks him out so you know you got me thinking about it certainly but the way that i was going was the fight goes the distance a minus 125 i believed covered me even if cop is crap right <laughs> if uh, if he does go out there and shit the bed and doesn't perform well Odie osborne's able to stick to the outside Odie osborne's not knocking him out i i, I really don't think so and uh Odie osborne is not submitting him so if Odie osborne wins this fight i would think it's by decision and likewise i think that cop would win a decision so we're covering both sides in my mind on minus 125 but that cop by decision is plus 180 and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's got the speed advantage. He's got the striking advantage. Uh, he's going to have to deal with that length a little bit early. It might take him a round or two to figure out the distance, but he should be landing the better shots. And, of course, why would you want a two-to-one straight money line ticket on a guy if the judges are probably just going to be awful? Like, that's the one problem with Manel's style is a lot of it's predicated on him knocking you out. So if he doesn't knock you out, it tends to be these close, uneventful rounds for a lot of the time. And then it's any, it's up to anybody's interpretation, and I don't want the Texas judge's interpretation getting it wrong. So, yeah, it's a little bit of buyer's beware. I'm not totally as hot on him as I'd like to be, but I do think he gets the victory. I will be playing him, and uh, 
you know, although we do agree, you're thinking he gets the job done inside the distance. I'm thinking he gets the job done by decision. Shout out to our guy, PayPal, my money DFS, saying Oday could possibly gas in the third in his 125 pound division, uh, yeah. to, uh, in his 125 pound debut. Uh, it's a plus 11.25 from an L cap in round three, which isn't too bad. Also, just a quick update in terms of the weigh ins here. Our guy, Joe Tadero, said uh, Osborne made 125 on the dot and looked good doing so. So okay. let's see how that actually. Um, translates into his fight tomorrow night all right let's move on to the next fight here we got the return of carolina kovakovich who goes off at minus 135 going up against uh just returned jessica penne plus 115 if you guys remember jessica penne took over uh took a split decision i believe uh controversial split decision over lupita godinez last time around uh but you know, you, you kind of got to blame Godinez for fighting as close as she did in that matchup. I get, you know, she was landing some good shots and landing some good damage, but to continuously get wrapped up and that grappling uh, sequence and those grappling sequences with Jessica Penny is just not a good look. Uh, made that fight way closer than it should have been here. I mean, when you have a minus 260 to minus 285 in Godinez, you want to see a little bit more of a dominant performance per se. But, you know, good on Jessica Penny to make it the fight that she needed it, right? Like she needed to be in close courts, even though she's the one that with the reach advantage and should be able to kind of keep fighters at distance. But her striking is just not that good. She's a grappler. She's a very crafty grappler. I remember seeing one of her early submissions in, in Invicta against one of these Japanese fighters that I was just completely blown away by just in terms of the way that she was able to set up the triangle. And that's kind of what initially put me put uh, put her on my radar even before she ended up getting onto the ultimate fighter. She had some skills, but now she's 38 years old, right? Like she's she seems to be slowing down a little bit, although she was able to pick up that uh, sketchy decision against uh, Lupita last time around. I do still think that she's going to be on the decline here. Karolina Kavakovic, on the other hand, a year and a half outside of the cage. Last time around, we saw her get beat to shit by Yan Jiaonan, uh, close to getting actually stopped in that first round as well. I believe uh, she had like her tear duct burst or something like that because uh, Yan Jiaonan landed on the eye pretty significantly. Um, but she's been out of the cage for a year and a half. She's 35 years old she seems to have the fire to get back inside the cage and you know reverse the fortunes of that orm four streak that she's currently on but it's really not that bad right like she's going up against top contenders top fighters within that division and coming up short right jessica andrage michelle watterson is probably the most iffy one there but we also know that michelle watterson has a little bit of an underrated wrestling game which is she was able to utilize in that matchup then we got alexa grasso solid fighter and then lastly yan jonan who you know albeit, you know, lost to Carlos Farza the way that she did, still a very high-level fighter. I do think that we'll see Carolina come back to form here. I do think that she's going to go out there and just piece up uh, Jessica Penny on the feet. I think she'll do what Godinez was supposed to do, which is strike and just uh, disengage from clinch positions, stay away from the grappling, hopefully stuff a, a takedown or two, as I don't really believe in Jessica Penny's takedown here. And I do think that we'll see uh, Kavakovic, you know, have that uh, classic Kavakovic performance, which is like 100 plus significant strikes landed. You know, I mean, she's going to stick and move, stick and move. She's spending time with Yana now over there in Poland. They're apparently teaming up and, and you know, just trying to get her ready to come back for a UFC uh, return. And I think that we'll see some solid work from her here. I think she, like I said, significant striking advantage. I don't think Jessica Pene is comfortable on the feet at all. And she really needs to clinch and, and engage in the grappling to have any success. And I think that's not really going to happen. It seems like the public perception isn't in tune with what I'm saying, considering that the line is starting to widen a little bit, especially as fight week has progressed. Um, obviously, the, the most uh, predictable outcome is probably going to be uh, Kavakovic by decision, no matter who you expect to win in this fight, them by decision, but Kavakovic by decision plus 120. But I might have to take a little bit of a sprinkle on Kavakovic by KO at plus 950. I think that line's a little bit wide, especially considering the striking difference here. And I know Kavakovic isn't notoriously a finisher, but I believe that the lack of striking defense and the the 
you know, almost the, the, the lostness of Jessica Penny when she's in the striking exchanges could pair well with Karolina Kovacvich, who's more than likely going to be coming back with just uh, a vengeance here. I mean, somebody that wants to come back and just reassert herself back into to this 115-pound division and, uh, again, change the perception of her, which is a fighter that's on for and probably way past her prime. So I think this is a great matchup for her to come back to. I'm going Karolina Kovacvich, decision plus 120, but I'm going to have a little bit of action on that KO prop at plus 950. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, man, I got Carolina as well. I mean, the joke that I was making on Twitter earlier this week is that she's lost her last 11 rounds in a row. I mean, she got 30 yeah. 26 against Jan, but lost all three rounds. She lost all three rounds against Grosso, all three rounds against Michelle Watterson. She lost the single round that she fought against Jessica and Drage, and then she lost the third round against Felice Herrig. So it hasn't been a good stretch. As you mentioned, she's 35 now, year and a half long layoff, hasn't won a fight since the Felice Herrig fight, which is. 40 months I think to the day so it's been th my biggest question is just like does she want to do it and you mentioned that she seems rejuvenated and you know she wants to right the ship and get back in the wind column but it just she hasn't really seen herself in a long time she hasn't seen all that interested however a large part of that is the competition 11 yeah. rounds who gives a shit look at the people that you're fighting okay it should be 10 rounds you probably should have beaten fleece in that third but whatever let's just talk about the fact that jessica andrage is a murderer michelle watterson is a top five top 10 contender at the very bare minimum lexa grosso is a top five top 10 contender at the bare minimum and Jan, Jan was on a killer roll before Carlos Sparza right. just ran right through her. But you can't discredit her in the slightest bit. She was on a solid roll. So all that stuff is solid. I think they're solid opposition. When you put her up against lesser competition, yeah, the volume's still there. The striking's decent. She has a career takedown um, defense numbers of 75%. And that's actually really solid considering she got taken down five times in her last fight against Jan. So traditionally, outside of that one fight, the takedown defense has been there. She's got superior striking to Jessica Panay. She's got enough grappling that even if she was to get in a bad position, she's going to overcome said bad position. It's all good stuff. Panay's actually three years older. The difference there is that she had the three-year-long layoff. So she's not, oh, uh, does she still want to do this? 100% she wants to do this. The OnlyFans thing wasn't going on that good. This is how she makes her money. She wants to fight. And that Godinez fight, I did not agree with the decision whatsoever. All she did was backpack her, man. You can't win a fight just on a backpack. Was it really naked choke? No. Was there any damage? No. She got outstruck. She won the first. I'll give her that on the basis of the body triangle. But outside of that one round, like she got outstruck in two and three. This is a fight, not just like a, I'm going to hang on to my opponent and try to neutralize them. But all, all the same, solid victory for her in that she needed a win. She needed to return to a win. But I wasn't all that impressed. It wasn't like her skills had suddenly become a lot better. She is who we always believed her to be. And to be honest, she's the reason why I think she's so hesitant with this is going to sound so rude. The reason why she doesn't really like striking is she's not built to strike. She got a huge schnoz on her, man, okay? And that thing gets smacked, it's just going to tear you up, bleed, break. And that oftentimes when you see her eating damage, she's fine. And the schnoz is in pieces. You mentioned the fact that you think Carolina can knock her out. I'm not so sure about that. Like and I TKO, say that. not knock her out. Right, TKO, right. Maybe. TKO, TKO. Yeah. TKO possible only because... Knock her out, good luck. The only two girls that have finished her due to strikes, Joanny and Jacek, Jessica and Draj, they're the two amongst the two greatest power punchers of their division. And beyond that, she took 126 shots against Joanna before the ref was like, I can't watch this anymore, man. And she took 117 against Jessica, or against, uh, Jessica and Draj. So, ah, I really don't think that... 
Karolina Kovalkiewicz is going to come in and land well over 100 significant strikes and swarm her and batter her. But in both of those situations, she's not unconscious. Is that There's so much blood spewing out of her face, the ref's just like, I need, I need to stop this fight. And they'll step in and stop it. If Karolina swarms her, she could TKO her. But I just think she's going to fight the smart game plan. She's not going to try to get too close because she doesn't want to get engaged in these grappling-type situations. But use the takedown defense to keep the fight standing. Remain at distance as long as you can. And just use the superior numbers, superior output to beat her to the punch and uh, and bust her up. And then last, last but not least, even if it is close, the judges are going to score with the girl whose face is not completely busted open because it's a human perception, right? Oh, this is a close fight, but one person's bleeding all over the place. The other one's not. Well, it's just a nosebleed. Who cares? It's just a nosebleed. Well, there's blood all over the place. That's what you end up remembering. So I honestly think that even if it goes to the scorecards, the judges should get this one right. If you put Godinez versus Penne in Texas, they probably give it to Godinez. She had the superior boxing. She landed the better shots. And then she got clung on to. Texas doesn't like that. At least watch the boxing, right? Boxing, if you stay to the back and you land nice counter punches and you stick and move, and the other guy just bulls forward, they usually score to the guy that bulls forward. Texas is excited. This is going to have a live crowd. The live crowd is going to be excited. They're going to want engagement, not backpacking and sticking to. So uh, I, I went with Karolina Kovalkiewicz by decision, plus 120. If you didn't agree with that and you want to go Jessica Panay, I think you go Jessica Panay by decision, which is plus 180. You could do that stupid thing I always mention, right? You put a $100 bet on both sides because what's this fight to go the distance? It's like four to one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so the odds maker agrees this thing goes the distance. We all agree it goes the distance. The only reason I haven't given you the fight goes the distance props is because it's minus 400. It's just too big. But you juice up whoever you intend on picking by decision, right? We believe this goes decision. If Carolina wins, my opinion, by decision. If Jessica Panay springs the upset, it's going to be much of the same that she did against Godinez. Engage in the grappling, neutralize her up against the cage, try to take the back, put a body triangle in, win two of the three rounds. It wouldn't be pretty, but it would still go the distance. So my official play will be uh, Carolina plus 120 by decision. Just to give some credence to Jessica Penne, my guy, again, PayPal, my money, DFS, Carolina getting backpacked. That's probably your best way to win this fight is just, yeah. again, engage in the grappling, find the back, and just get some control time or potentially that submission, which also pays. I just want to get that number uh, here for you guys real quick. Uh, Penne by the submission plus 535. So not too bad of a line on that side at all. All right. Seven years ago. So eight years yeah. ago. That's her last submission win is eight years ago. And keep in mind, she failed to do anything against uh, Danielle Taylor. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Exactly. That's all I'm saying, right? Well, she beat Godinez in a return fight. I thought she lost. Yeah. The fight before that, she looked awful. There's a three-year gap in between. Yeah. How can Penne pull this off? But MMA gods are going to shit on me and they will somehow <laughs> pull this off. It's going to be Jessica Penne and that's schnoz. All right, let's yeah. move on to the next fight here. Uh, apparently, somebody that did not look good on the scales and needed the box of shame, Mr. Ed Herman, uh, steps in to fight Alonzo Menafield. In terms of odds, you got minus an obvious chalk here on Alonzo Menafield, minus 240, plus 200 the return on the 40-year-old and will be now 40-fight veteran Ed Herman. Uh, pretty easy fight to break down, right? Alonzo Menafield early. Ed Herman potentially late. However, I still I'm not 100% sold on the fact that Ed Herman will completely turn it on at the end of this fight and you know take over a compromise along to Menafield. We've seen Menafield go 50 minutes in the past, obviously against Devin Clark. And even though you know he ended up losing that fight, it didn't seem like he was just hunched over and ready to die. So I think that's kind of what Ed Herman would need to get a late finish in the spot. But I wouldn't hate a, a potential live betting spot on Ed Herman in this uh, if he is at a pretty good number after that first round. However, I do think that Alonzo Menafield is still 
still going to go out there and find that first round knockout. You know, Ed Herman surprisingly is on a three fight winning streak in 2021, but that comes over guys again uh, like Patrick Cummins, Hadisi Bedagimov, and then a fight that he definitely lost against Mike Rodriguez, but pulled off that veteran savvy move. Uh, making it look like a uh, what was it, a low blow rather than a body shot takes the time to recover it comes back and then eventually finishes Mike Rodriguez himself so I'd be surprised if he gets the same type of finish here against uh, uh, somewhat better Alonzo Menafield we obviously know Mike Rodriguez not the greatest fighter anymore um, or at least you know never really achieved the potential a lot of people expected him to have uh, but Alonzo Menafield I still feel like he has time to you know groom himself to get a little bit better in this game you know just try to try to work your gas tank a little bit better right like let's try to conserve it over 15 minutes rather than just trying to take somebody's head off within five however luckily for him i think that is uh his his explosiveness and his speed should be able to find his way to his chin to ed herman's chin in this fight and eventually get that knockout it's been about four years i believe since ed herman was last knocked out by nikita Korlov via head kick and then before that two fights earlier against uh derek brunson where he got starts within 35 seconds i think alonzo menafield can absolutely replicate that in this spot uh how ed herman is still actively fighting in 2021 and again like i said how he saw as a three-fight winning streak is beyond me but again when you look at that level of competition you're like ah okay i kind of get it Alonzo Menafield, though, seems like the type of guy that he's probably not going to be able to beat. So let's go Menafield by knockout, obviously, minus 130. Um, Menafield by, or Menafield in round one, plus 165. I don't mind those lines either. Uh, is he going to pull off another Von Pru choke like he did against Fabio Chirant last time around? I don't think so. You know, just, I think he just got lucky in terms of the positioning and everything with that. Uh, I'd be surprised if he finds Ed Herman in a similar situation. So yeah, I'm going. Menafield, like I said, minus 130 on the KO prop and plus uh, 165 for him to win inside round one. Uh, not touching that money line, though. Give me give me a guy that, you know, shows that he can win a fight outside of five minutes and then I'll be willing to lay that minus 240. But if he only has about five minutes to have, like, legit success, I don't I don't want anything to do with that. How do you feel about this matchup between the 40-year-old and uh, Alonzo Menafield? Yeah, that's it, man. Ed Herman's the loss of the Mohicans. I mean, he's start- <laughs> I, 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 I can't claim I watched the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. I did. I didn't watch the second season as well. But I started watching it was season three. Ed Herman made it to the finals and lost to Kendall Grove. And as far as being a 185-pound fighter, Ed Herman's a problem for a lot of guys. You know, a guy that wrestled collegiately, solid grappling, cast iron chin, striking, and, eh, you know, leaves something to be desired, but has a willingness to go out there and engage and grind on guys. And... You know, again, he's one of the original first guys that I would watch when I first got into the sport. And the fact that he's still kicking it in 2021, it's amazing. But long gone are the days of middleweight short fuse. He ends up going to light heavyweight and, man, has some mixed success. Actually enters this fight on a three-fight winning streak, if you can imagine that. But hearing that he's struggling to make weight, that he had to come in with a towel, again, this is all just signs of too much growth. He's 40 years old. He's getting a lot bigger. He's last fight Mike Rodriguez uh, a year ago, so he's coming off a year-long layoff. Ugh, he's 40. His body's just naturally getting a lot bigger. He doesn't get up and run the miles anymore. His knees are hurting from the days of wrestling in college. He's just slowing down altogether, right? I mentioned to Paul Shaughnessy, I think if Ed Herman was at his best, a prime version of him, I think he's a massive problem here for a guy like Alonzo yes. Menafield. And that Menafield has the perception that he's going to gas out after one, and a grinding-type fighter is going to be a problem for him. Clark, Devin Clark actually got busted up the first three minutes of that fight, right? Yeah. Eyes almost swelling shut, and then he just relies to just grappling sitting sitting on the grappling right press him up against the cage can't take him down by the way menafield's takedown defense was badass for the first 10 yeah, minutes very you know, solid hips solid hips all clark had to do was just press him into the cage and then the third round he finally got the takedown 
ends up winning the decision. Solid victory for Clark. The next time out against Auburn St. Preux, he's so gun-shy, worried about getting gassed out and getting tired, he just stood there and stared at him. It was a terrible performance, but he's still a former title challenger in OSP. So again, I'm going to write you a pass. Even though the Fabio Charant fight was over quick, Fabio Charant took the fight on, what, two days' notice? Yeah. And it ended in a minute. doesn't really tell you anything. There was a swagger to him. There was a confidence to him. He looks in awesome shape. And even though he's 33, and even though he seemingly has cardio issues and has way too much muscle, keep in mind that he was only like 10-0 and 0 when he signed to the UFC. And most of those were first-round finishes. So he's still very inexperienced. And now you're seeing him get that little bit more experience. Ed Herman's got the funniest striking numbers his last fight against Mike Rodriguez. He gets outstruck 31-21 in the first, loses. He gets outstruck 28, 24 sorry, to 18 in the second round, loses. And the third round, he got outstruck 34 to one, <laughs> and he won. The, and he won the fight in the third round with a fucking submission. Yeah, so like, dude, that's a that's a hell of a buzzer beater. Should he have won that fight? No. And if the ref would have caught it, he wouldn't have won. Fight before that, Katie Sabragamov. Okay, well, Katie Sabragamov went 0 and 4 in the UFC, and Da Ung Jung submitted him. Right? Uh, Roman Delitz knocked him out. Where was the finish out of Herman there? Pat Cummins is Pat Cummins. I think we all know where Cummins' chin's at, right? <laughs> So I, I hate to shit on Ed Herman, and I'm always very happy to see him win. It's just this is going to be a tough spot for him. The first the first five minutes of the fight are going to be very hectic. Alonzo Menafield might be able to break the code. Ed Herman was also like, you can't knock him out, cast iron. But eventually they did get to him. Nikita Krylov and Derek Brunson both knocked him out uh, fairly quickly into those fights. So, yeah, I, I think durability could be an issue. Menafield should put him on him early. If Menafield takes his time, doesn't quite get that knockout in the first, I don't think his cardio is quite as bad as we're knocking on. He's not just a one-round guy. It's that he's a one-round guy if you're going to grind on him. And I don't think this version of Hermit is going to grind on him. So he's going to be able to fight at a slower pace. Should be able to uh, get the job done. The props that I was looking at, I think we're on the same page. The Menafield by knockout was minus 125. But to be honest, there's not a whole lot of props that I like on this one. Like, I feel like the under two and a half is a, a good spot, but the, you know, the number's not great. Menafield by knockout, it's still minus 125. Him by money line, not great. You know, as far as props, I could just pass on this fight altogether, but gun to my head, have to choose one that I like the most. I do got a feeling that Menafield finishes this thing inside the distance. So, Menafield by knockout, minus 120. I will just say uh, round two, Menafield is also plus 450, just in case he okay. decides to pace himself a little bit and then let go in the second round. There's definitely that. I do want to give a shout out to my guy, Buffalo on the beat here. He said, Ed Herman should be a high school gym teacher. And then he goes on to call him Fizz Ed Herman. I fucking love that. Probably one of my favorite comments all week regarding this card. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, one that I don't really have the greatest thoughts on and no real confidence, so I can't wait to hear your thoughts here. We got Draco Rodriguez taking on Vince Morales. Uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 115 on Rodriguez, minus 105 on Vince Morales. Now, uh, seems like a fight where I believe the most amount of success for Draco Rodriguez would be if he decides to take this fight to the ground and try to grapple fuck Vince Morales. Vince Morales, on the other hand, seems to, like, uh, seems to be the guy that wants to keep it on the feet let his hands go try to use his uh, boxing and his footwork to get the best of uh the, the damage and hopefully sway the judges his way um drake or sorry um uh morales uh, in his last fight against chris coutier has got his uh, like absolutely whacked off that i don't think that uh mr uh draco rodriguez will be able to replicate that type of game plan so i don't think that vince morales has really much to worry about there and i do believe he had some sort of leg or acl injury that he sustained right after that fight uh and that fight was just about a year ago so he's taking the time off now he's coming back looks better ready to go his interviews he seems very fired up and ready to get back inside the cage and this seems like a solid opportunity for him to go out there and get back into the winning track in the UFC 
I thought he personally won the uh, Benito Lopez fight. I'm surprised that fight was actually scored for Benito Lopez. It seemed like a fight where it was just striker with his hands versus striker with his kicks, with Lopez being the kicker. And it seemed like the judges were definitely favoring the kick kicks more than they were favoring the hands of Vince Morales. But if you look on MMA decisions, pretty much all the media members and a lot of the fan scoring was on the Vince Morales side. So um, I do think that Morales will have the edge on the feet here. I do think he'll be successful in keeping it upright. And I do think he'll have success in terms of landing the better shots and swaying the judges with the damage that he's going to be able to inflict on uh, Draco Rodriguez. Does he knock out Rodriguez as Eamon Zahabi did in his last fight? I don't think so. I think that he'll see, will seem a little bit more conservative in terms of his power, allowing his volume to do a little bit more of the talking and the work in this fight. So I do like uh, Vince Morales, minus 105. I don't mind that betting line. Again, probably my least, confidence fight, least confident fight on the entire card. But in terms of predictions, like I said, Morales, minus 105 money line is not too bad. But Morales via decision, plus 250, I like that spot as well. Uh, how are you feeling about this matchup? You're going to give a little bit more credence to uh, Drake, or do you like Vince Morales as well? Yeah, honestly, it's hard to get a read on, but I think I'd go with the Draco Rodriguez side of things. And honestly, there's there's no real edge here. There's no real, you know, there's no real key answer. I just think that Draco Rodriguez's boxing is slightly bit, a little bit better and that he could potentially mix in the grappling in which he's got decent jiu-jitsu. His wrestling's not great, and I think that Morales has got the wrestling advantage and should be able to stuff the shots, keep this fight standing, but Vince Morales just fights with, like, too low of ring IQ for my liking. Keep in mind that Vince Morales comes from a wrestling base, okay? He wrestled in high school. When he got into mixed martial arts, he got into mixed martial arts as a wrestler. He's from Oregon, a state notorious for their wrestling programs, trains at a gym with a whole bunch of wrestlers, and his cousin is Ricky Simone. And yet, he's never completed, never even attempted, one single takedown. He shows 0% numbers because he hasn't even shot one. Now, when you fight a guy like Chris Gutierrez, who is a pretty one-dimensional striker, who you know is going to try to kick your legs because that's all he ever does is the leg kick, and is coming off a fight with Cody Durden, where Durden, a 25 that took the fight on a few days' notice, is able to take him down and control him for all of the first round. Got a 10-8 first round, just on that, that much control. And you don't even shoot one single takedown. And he's kicking your leg, and he's busting you up, and not at any point was he like, I should take this to the ground. So that kind of one-dimensionalness, not, not enough for me. So then I go back, okay, if, why does he want to stay standing so much? Is he a great striker? No. No, he's not some great striker. I mean, his output's a little bit too low for me. He has scored knockdowns against Benito Lopez. He got it at the tail end of the first round. And he did score a win or a, a knockdown over Domingo Pilarte in the contender series. But both times, he failed to yield a knockout win. He actually lost both fights. And the last time he's won a fight by knockout was like three and a half years ago. So if he's not some big power puncher, then he's got to be a volume guy. And yet, he's not a volume guy. The fight with Song Yudong was his highest numbers, but... The fight was Eamon. It was low output from both guys. Not a very exciting fight. Not a very good fight, but he beat Eamon Zahabi. The Benito Lopez fight, I agree he probably should have won that fight. Most people agree he probably should have won that fight. But let's analyze why he lost that fight. In the first round, he gets completely outstruck. He does nothing for the entire first round. He's just, but Lopez is not doing much either, but he's kicking. Leg kick, leg kick, body kick, leg kick, leg kick, body kick. Lopez is clearly winning the first. Minute left, and uh, Morales drops him with the right hand. As soon as he drops him, Benito Lopez immediately recovers, fishes for a triangle choke, gets back up to his feet. Morales doesn't even want to play on the ground, and then the round ends. So the flash knockdown is what would have won in the round, but he did get outstruck for that round. 
The second round's a lot of the same. He doesn't do anything for the majority of the second round until the last minute or two. Then he turns it on, and it's enough to squeak out the second round. The third round's all Vince Morales. I'm not sure how anybody scores that round against him. My point is, is that he just waits too long fighting a lot of these guys and allows them to get their combinations off before he even thinks of doing anything. Against Gutierrez, he did exactly that once again. He just allowed Gutierrez to get off first in all the exchanges and blow his leg off before he chose to do anything about it. Now, I'll give him this. He's got the experience advantage because he's fought Chris Gutierrez and he's fought Eamon Zahabi, the guy that just knocked out Rodriguez. And, he, and he's fought Song Yudong, who's pretty legit, who we'll talk about later on in the card. So the experience is definitely towards him. And his durability, pretty good. You know, I think his durability is pretty solid enough. The wrestling, probably slight advantage for him. I just don't have enough trust for this guy to put it all together. Now, I know Rodriguez just got knocked out. He's 0-1 in the UFC. I get all that. He's still young enough. I think that his chin's not an issue. He's still making some improvements. He's got the hand speed advantage. He's got the technical boxing advantage. And I'm hoping he just goes out there and outpoints him, uses the superior volume to get the job done. But honestly, like, what, what what's the confidence level at? Not very big. Uh, the props that I ended up going with was the fight goes the distance at minus 135. If Rodriguez is chinny, then yeah, Morales catches him, sure. But Morales is traditionally a decision guy. He wins the majority of his fights by decision at this level. And flip side to that, Rodriguez is, yeah, Eamon caught him, fair, give him that. Eamon, at his best, is a talented fighter, right? But he doesn't seem to have chin issues. His only other career loss is to Tony Gravely. He went deep into some championship rounds of Gravely, and as we all know, Gravely pretty legit. So, yeah, fight goes the distance, minus 135. I took the Draco Rodriguez by decision at plus 200. Uh, quick question regarding uh, Draco Rodriguez. Apparently, he had some issues with King of the Cage when he used to fight for them. Yes. Do you, do you know what that was about? If you can quickly, briefly just talk about that. Yeah, 100%. So, Draco Rodriguez signed a contract with King of the Cage, which was like a four-fight deal. Now, what uh, Terry Trubalock from King of the Cage does is he'll sign a lot of these young guys, and he'll promote you against cans the first two or three fights to try to build you up on like something he could sell. Now, what he's trying to do is get a video library put together with your fights. So, eventually, you go to the UFC, and he owns the property rights to your to your career, right? Your early fights. So he signs Draco Rodriguez and does sign him, does a, you know, set him up pretty soft right off the hop, right? They do give him a title shot. He beats the Shane Moffat six and six. He beats his far Muhammad. Uh, and then he signs, sorry, he signs to fight Johnny Munoz, I believe it was. Sorry, no, it wasn't. It was, was it Eamon? I believe it was it Johnny. Was... I remember them talking about Johnny and him supposed to fight. Yeah, but I don't know why Topology doesn't list it. He signed, you're 100% right, he signed a UFC contract to compete in the UFC, and then Terry was like, hey, I have a contract with you for four fights. You've only completed three or two, two or three of the fights. So he put the block in and was just like, no, not going to happen. And as soon as that happened, same thing happened to Jesse Arnett, you'll remember, when Stefan yeah. Patrick from TKO, he was like, listen, I have a contract for you. I've sold tickets on an upcoming fight. You're my champion. You need to fight your contract out. It's bullshit because the ultimate dream from a fighter is to make it to the UFC <laughs> right. and actually get paid. But 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 Terry's comment still sticks in my mind to this day, which is a reason why I'm on, uh, I'm on Draco Rodriguez in the spot. Terry, you can bring it up. The interview's online. But anyways, Terry says... This kid's not UFC quality right now anyways, but he will be. His boxing is awesome. Phenomenal boxer. His jiu-jitsu, pretty good, getting a lot better. But the kid has absolutely no wrestling. Will be good in a few years, not good right now. What good does it do me to send him to the UFC and have him lose right now when he can develop in King of the Cage, get a few more fights, and then go on and be a threat down the road, which is what he wants. If you fan out from the UFC, his video library is not worth anything. He wants to build you up, right? So on that regard, by the way, Terry's piece of shit is... Um, <laughs> Do you know why Crazy Horse goes by felony? Because Crazy I don't. 
because Crazy Horse is owned by Terry. Terry has the likeness to it, right? Oh. When he was fighting for King of the Cage back in the day, he signed a likeness agreement because Charles needs the money, right? So I have a T-shirt in the back over there, and you can't probably can't see it. But uh, again, I feel bad. It's all King of the Cage merchandise, and you know Charles don't see a dollar from that. But that's why he goes from felony now and not Crazy Horse. He's trying to distance himself from that. So, anyways, the the key point of this entire story being is that. Terry saw this guy's got good boxing. He's from Iowa. Yeah, when you watch him in the team, even the Amon Zahabi fight early, it's like, oh, he's got a nasty little leg kick there on the outside. Hand speed's good, you know? He looks like he's in it early, and then he gets clipped. Fair. I'm going to give him a pass there and say, yes, this is he is young. He is dynamic. His jiu-jitsu is pretty solid, man. He's got good grappling, good submissions. I, I just don't have enough faith in him to go out there and end up in top more times than not with the takedowns. So I'd like to use, see him use his boxing, you know, win the fight striking, neutralize that leg. Uh, you watched the Benito Lopez, obviously, yeah. th that fight. Benito's leg kicks didn't do the same thing as Gutierrez's leg kicks did, no. but they were there all night for him too. You know, yeah. he At one point, team, actually, this is right before the knockdown. Team Alpha Male yells out, his leg hurts, his body hurts. Yeah. And then Morales looks at them and smiles and then drops Lopez with the right hand. Great <laughs> sequence, great sequence. But uh, but then he didn't want to fall into the ground, you know. He just seemed a little yeah. bit hesitant. There just wasn't enough there for me personally. So I'll go Rodriguez. I wouldn't fault anybody for going Morales. And they will both be very low in the PRB. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the prelim headliner. And we got an absolute banger between Rafael Faziev going up against Bobby Green. Possible disrespect on Bobby Green in terms of the betting line here. We got minus 290 on Fiziev and plus 245 on Bobby Green. It's not often you see Bobby Green this big of an underdog, right? More often than not, he's the big favorite going up against guys that are the big underdogs. Uh, I believe at least three out of his last five fights, he was the heavy favorite. Uh, and even the last fight that he was actually scheduled for with Jim Miller, he was another big favorite around that minus 300 range before. Apparently, he collapsed backstage after the weight cut and then didn't end up making it to the cage, obviously. Uh, they ended up cutting or uh, scratching that fight, but here he is back, hopefully ready to go. I'm not sure if he's actually weighed in yet, but hopefully he looks good on the scales. But the guy's a veteran, right? The guy has close to 40 fights. The guy has done this over and over again i don't recall any time in the past outside of that uh, jim miller situation where he's really had a tough weight cut or had weight cutting issues so i think that was more of an anomaly than anything in terms of the the striking style here and the the, the styles in terms of how these guys match up actually uh Fiziev, we know he was the original striking coach over there at tiger muay thai seems like tiger muay thai is slowly starting to fall apart now we have the hickman brothers leaving there uh i believe Fiziev has officially left as well he's actually training down there full-time at sanford now which is great for him obviously you know just to round out that full game that he has uh to bring to the table which looks absolutely nasty the thing that i like most about him especially that mark d casey if is that he's showing maturity in his MMA game, going for takedowns and not just relying on his striking. There are opportune moments for him to take advantage of the grappling, which he did in that fight against Mark DKC, centered around a lot of the leg kicks that he was able to land on DKC, setting up the takedowns and the rest of the success that he had in that fight. The Hinato Moikano fight seemed like it was starting off a little bit iffy just because he was still just trying to find the range and trying to get on the inside of Fiziev to land his kicks and land his punches. Uh, and then, obviously, I, I don't really expect him to go out there and try to take a guy like Hinato Moikano down, obviously, because Moikano has such a drastic grappling advantage in that realm. So there's no point in him going out there to take that. But he didn't need a real a full MMA game to go out there and dispatch of Hinato Moikano after de uh, destroying him with a beautiful three-punch combination, one to the body, two to the head, absolutely drops him to Moikana. And some people might think it was an early stoppage, but from the referee's perspective and his 
optically speaking, it doesn't look good the way Hanato Moikano dropped, especially with his head snapping back and kind of bouncing off the canvas. It looked like he was ready to retain guard and kind of, you know, start defending, but the referee was already jumping in the way and Fiziev already got the win. So you can make a case for both sides, early stoppage, late stoppage, uh, or sorry, or perfect stoppage, I should say, but I don't mind that stoppage at all. Um, the main thing to note, though, is that Moikano was just not completely out. He was definitely rocked in that spot. Now here against Bobby Green, I think Bobby Green's best path to victory in terms of winning this fight is just stay in Fiziev's face. Don't let him breathe. Don't let him get his kicks off. Keep him on his back foot. Crowd him with punches. But, you know, Bobby Green is a little bit too lackadaisical at the time, so can you really trust him to go out there and do that? Now, if you're putting a gun to my head and tell me where's the value on this fight in terms of the money line, I gotta say Bobby Green, plus 245, in my opinion, is a spit in the face uh, of a veteran, of a you know somebody who has three times the amount of experience that Fiziev brings to the table here. Albeit, we can definitely take Fiziev's Muay Thai career into consideration. It probably evens out a little bit more. But in terms of professional MMA fights, uh, it, it's completely a, a night and day in terms of the experience here. But I do think Fiziev is the goods, man. I think it, I wish he was closer to minus one fifty, though, as I believe that 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 was the correct line that the opener was. I believe it, uh, you know, it should be around minus one fifty to a plus one thirty. But uh, you guys come here for the props. We try to find that little edge for you guys to make it a little bit more bettable. And I think the way to approach this fight is going to be to take Fiziev uh, via decision in this spot. That's the prop that I like the most. Even the over two and a half at minus one seventy five, a little bit chalky, but I think that both guys are quite durable, and we'll see this go the full three rounds. I know Fiziev was able to get Moicano out of there the last time around, but it seems like Moicano has a little bit of durability issues whereas Bobby Green, you know, the last time he got put out, I believe it was four or five years ago by Dustin Poirier. Will Fiziev be able to replicate that? Maybe, but he really has to get his punches going, but a lot of his game is centered around his kicks. So if he can just continuously kick, work the body of Bobby Green, work the legs of Bobby Green, he should be able to start swinging the judges uh, over to his side. But Fiziev by decision, we got uh, plus 130. I like that. Uh, and then on the flip side, again, if you like green, green at plus 400 to win by decision isn't too bad, although plus 245 is already good enough value on him in that straight betting market. So, uh, yeah, I like Fiziev. Fiziev like, uh, by decision, like I said, I believe that line, once again, is plus 130. How do you feel about this matchup between uh, the up-and-coming Fiziev and that hard-nosed veteran Bobby Green? Yeah, listen, I would love to have gotten at the minus 145 that Fiziev opened at, but right. I will fully admit, I never saw that line anywhere, right? So I agree with the movement. I agree with the money coming in on Fiziev. Uh, and why Why is Bobby Green the value side? Listen, this fight's likely going to decision. Almost every Bobby Green fight goes to decision, and almost every Bobby Green fight that goes to decision is pretty competitive. So like you always mentioned, the fight goes the distance, it's competitive. You're in Texas, the worst commission in the world, and you're holding a ticket. Do you want a 3-1 to Fiziev ticket? Do you want that plus 220 Bobby Green ticket? I, I hear you there, man, but Fiziev's the truth. I honestly think this guy is the real deal, and him leaving Tiger Muay Thai to go to Sanford MMA is awesome. You know, That's actually a very step in the right direction. At Tiger, you've got a great gym, destination gym, but yeah, who is the wrestling coach there? George Hickman. I got a lot of respect for both Hickman brothers, but... You know, if you were to put a list of top, I don't, I just, I don't know. They're, they're guys that went over there. If you notice with Tiger Muay Thai, this is the model. You bring in an ex-fighter, mid-level ex-fighter, they take over the program. So they start off, it's Brian Ebersol, right? Then Brian Ebersol does it for two, three years. Then he hands the torch over to Roger Huerta. Then Roger Huerta does it for a few years. He hands the, bro the torch over to the Hickman brothers. They've done it for a few years. And the guy now is like Don Carlos. He's nine and four guy from New York. Like, it, it, that's what it is. His training partners there, legendary training partners, but guys that came over with legendary resumes. Peter Yan didn't show up to Tiger Muay Thai as a nobody, you know? Yeah. He was Peter Yan when he showed up. 
You think Valentina Shevchenko showed up to Tiger Muay Thai needing some help with her game? No, no, she's Valentina Shevchenko. A lot of the Alexander Volkanovsky, you know, like a lot of the people that have gone there, they've gone there because it's a destination gym. You know what? I'd like to go to Thailand for a couple months. It's really cheap to live. You've got a dorm right next to the gym. I'm going to train my Muay Thai, you know, and, and be in the sun for a while. Sanford, okay, cool destination still because it's South Florida. But really, it's like it's a cast iron gym full of killers. Henry Hoof, as far as being a striking coach goes, where what gym could you go and get better guidance than that? As far as the guys in the room that are wrestling, he's got some of the best wrestlers in the world. He's got some of the best grapplers in the world. He's got some of the best BJJ guys. He's got Gilbert Burns. He's got all of this great cast of guys to work with. He's going to start realizing his potential, and I think that his potential is infinite. Uh, I bet him, see, I got kind of screwed up as Eve. I had him over Magomed Mustafaev in his debut, and all I did was talk this kid up. All I did was talk him up, and he eats a spinning back kick in the face <laughs> right in the first round, minute and a half in, knocked out. Shit. We get him over Alex White. We get him over Mark Casey. I, I bailed out on the Hanato Moicano fight. Fight starts. He is chewing Moicano up. Moicano did land a couple decent shots, zipped him a few times, but the kid looks like he's got a good chin. His little Sanchai fade away. People love that. The crowd loves that. All good for business. Leg kicks look heavy. His hook combinations look heavy. This guy looked like the real deal. I'm thinking to myself, Hanato, shoot the takedown. What are you doing? Get this to the ground. He shot and he like ran headfirst into an oak tree. I was like, oh, I'm screwed. And once he couldn't get that fight to the ground, he got knocked out shortly thereafter. If you look at Fazeev, who is comes in with a very reputable Muay Thai background, training in Thailand, Where's the wrestling coming from? Alex White went 0 for 11 on takedown attempts against him. Fair, but it's Alex White. Mark Casey, a much better wrestler, went 0 for 4 on takedowns over him. Okay, but it's Mark Casey. Hanato Moicano, better than the two of them, smacked into that oak tree and realized right away, oh shit, he went 0 for 1. He shows a 100% takedown defense in the UFC. So I think Bobby, to win this fight, Bobby would have to mix in some of that wrestling, and I just don't see it happening. I think the physique is going to be landing the bigger shots. Bobby might have a little bit more volume, but his leg's going to be getting chewed off. The bigger shots, the more wowing shots are going to come from Fazeev. And last but not least, Bobby Green cannot, will not, win a decision in Texas. This, every time you get hit, not going to fly there because they're going to recognize that you, in fact, have gotten hit. Now, Bobby Green has a tendency to do this. Him versus Jakar Close. He outstruck your car close 92 to 58 and scored the fight's only takedown. Lost the decision. Him versus Francisco Trinaldo. He outstruck him 50 to 31 and scored two takedowns for only one versus Trinaldo. He lost the decision. Him versus Thiago Moises. He outstruck him 85 to 42 and they both had two takedowns apiece. And he lost that decision. I thought he won all three. MMA Decisions thinks he won all three. The judges never scored these close fights for Bobby Green because of this. It's tough. They don't like it. They don't like it. It's an arrogant thing. And again, it comes back to human nature. The guy gets hit and he does this and he shakes his head. Nope, nope, nope. And the other guy's, and the other guy's laser focus and it's a close fight. You don't give it to Bobby Green. And they don't give it to Bobby Green. And so I do think this thing goes the distance. And I do think it's competitive. But uh, in the end, that decision's going towards Rafael Fazeev. The two shots I took here was fight goes the distance, minus 140. If Bobby springs my narrative and beats me, um, he's not... When was the last time Bobby Green finished anybody? Yeah. He kicked, he kicked James Krause in the balls three times, and that was, <laughs> I think, seven years ago, right? Yeah. He's not finishing anything. So if he springs the upset, it's going the distance, minus 140. I'm going to hit that. But I think Fazeev's going to be landing those better shots, chew up the leg, fight a smart game plan, and uh, the plus 125 Fazeev by decision is the way I end up going. 
I like it. It feels like we're already talking about the main card, but that's the prelim headliner, <laughs> fellas. Crazy. That's a fucking amazing fight. So uh, getting right before we get into the main card here, I do want to remind you guys, hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then obviously go out, uh, go out and check out uh, Cody's YouTube channel, which is obviously linked in the description below. Loved that freaking, uh, that Travis Fulton documentary that you put out. Perfectly edited, perfectly produced, and a great story as well. I think a lot of people enjoyed it. Uh, do you have any plans right now in terms of dropping your next one, or how is that looking? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the reasons why my schedule's been all over the place is that, like, essentially, when I went to college, they said this. When I first started working at Fight Network, it turned out to be true. Now that I'm doing my own side projects, it's, it's always been the same. Is that one minute of editing is one hour is yeah. how long it takes, right? So the video is 30 minutes long. It's 30 hours worth of editing. And that's what that video took to edit. I can write a script in a day, day and a half. That's no problem. It's the editing that takes the long time. So this episode two, my problem is once I dropped it on the timeline, start editing it, it's like 40 minutes long. To which effect I've got like 32 minutes done. I'm thinking it should be able to be done by late tomorrow, if not like Sunday or Monday kind of thing. I'm just trying to figure out best time to launch it. And then the episode three, which is already in the pipeline, it's only like 12, 13 minutes because I don't want everyone to just think they're always going to be 30, 40 minutes long. Yeah. The other thing I'm struggling with is the first one's about fight fixing and the second one's about fight fixing as well. But they're not all about fight fixing. You know, some of them are some guy killed somebody or somebody had a, a, a you know, they all have interesting stories, but it's not necessarily always fight fixing. So to release the second episode as more fight fixing, I don't want people to then be like, oh, every episode's fight fixing. I almost want to drop episode three as episode two just to like, you know, first episode's half hour, next one will be 12 minutes in a different subject matter, and then the third one's long again in the same subject matter. But uh, I think it's dope. I think it's coming together pretty good. And uh, I just, I really appreciate all the feedback from the last one. Again, it has like four or 5,000 views. That, that's low, but it's evergreen content. You know, you could watch the video a year from now and it would still be relevant. And I think, you know, I've got in my mind written out all my ideas, all my scripts. I got five, se every season's eight episodes and I got five seasons worth of episodes. So yeah, maybe somebody comes along the way, three, four episodes in, says, I like this, put it on my channel or a sponsor or whatever the case may be. But yeah, man, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And uh, ultimately, I like to tell stories, right? I like to tell true stories. And that's what these stories are, right? All this information is readily available. I've just put it all in one place and hopefully made it entertaining to the viewer. And then for the editing side of things, when I went to college, I hated it. Didn't want to do editing, right? But it was like, yeah, this is, you might as well learn all the skills. So you learn to be camera guy and you learn to do editing and you learn to write and you learn to do on-air stuff. And I, I thought, you know, Maybe I'll do on-air stuff, but I didn't think I'd be an editor. But to get your foot in the door in any industry, you got to be willing to do anything. And the first job I was offered was as an editor. And then uh, I did that for like eight, nine, ten years, man. Like I've been at Finder for ten years, edited the entire time I was there. And then since we've been off on the pandemic, haven't done it as much. So I kind of missed it a little bit, right? So it's been cool for me too. And I just like looking back on old fights and going through this old stuff. And so even just like the old Travis Fulton stuff, like you'd go and you'd find some crazy knockout that you hadn't seen in years or that you maybe never seen seen ever. He's got 300 fights, right? Uh, and then there's the dark side of it as well. So yeah, the I feedback's been awesome. I really appreciate all the people that took time to write, like, send it to a friend, do all that jazz. And uh, yeah, hopefully just even better episodes to come in the future. Absolutely. I think it's great and well needed in this industry because there's not a lot of people putting that much detail and work into stuff like that. And there's not many people that know it like you do as well, right? You you know where to look, you know where to get the proper information, and you definitely know how to tell the story as well. Yeah, the frustrating part though is that like, again, you put the work in and I think it's a solid product and I the people that have watched it, again, it's not like it's killing it numbers-wise. I, I, we can sit here and do a preview video for an hour and it'll get bigger numbers than that. 
And that cost us no fucking time, an hour of our time, and we did the research anyways. So in that case, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit of a letdown, I suppose. But it's just like, no, man. It's only going to gain traction. Yeah, and to me, it's it's rewarding. Exactly. Now people know where to find it, and they're going to continuously pass it along as you drop more episodes for sure. Yeah, and it it's personally rewarding, and I think that's the main takeaway here is that like I've seen a bunch of other channels. I'm like, what do these guys do? And they're doing some similar type stuff. What are they doing that could help me? What could I take notes from? Always willing to learn. Always willing to take constructive criticism. And their stuff, it's like, what was really wrong with Conor McGregor's ankle? And it's just like, ah, I don't want to be know, that guy. They're doing, Cody. That guy. You I know, I know, that. I know what they're you doing. Don't want to do that, but you know what they're doing. Exactly. So I would rather give it a catchy title that is convoluted and nobody fucking clicks on it, but it means something to me, man. So uh, keep your eyes open for episode two. Should be dropping shortly enough. Absolutely. I I can't wait for the next one. I'm sure more people are going to continue to eat it it up as you uh, start dropping them. All right, let's get to the main card. First fight. Very excited about this one. Minus 125 on Casey Kenny, plus 105 on Song Yadong. I love Casey Kenny in this spot, man. I feel like Song Yadong is... I don't want to say completely plateaued, but he's gotten to a point where he's like, okay, I know he's 23 years old, but it feels like he's just left everything in the cage and the ring already, even before getting to the UFC. The guy's had absolute wars in the past, but it seems like his game is kind of just starting to get to the point where we know what to expect from the guy. You know, I know he's training over there at Alpha Male, but it seems like it's not really progressing his career any further. He wants to go out there, take your head off, or, you know, he has some decent grappling exchanges back and forth, but it seems like the most amount of success he has is when he's able to convince people to trade in the pocket with him, in the fire with him and more often than not he's able to get the better of them in those spots Kyler Phillips played it perfectly right he, he played the matador game there he stuck and moved for the first two rounds solidly seemed like he was starting to slow down in the third round and Song Yudong was able to take advantage of it having some grappling success in that matchup but I feel as though he's going to be pushed a lot here against Casey Kenny who is improving on a fight to fight basis and some people might scoff at the fact that he has a loss to Dominic Cruz in 2021 Dominic Cruz can still go out there and fight man the guy has solid fight IQ his footwork still work wonders and the fact that he has a very underrated wrestling game that a lot of people don't expect allows him to like eke out some of these decisions here great work by him you know at the ending of a couple of those rounds where he's able to secure a takedown late to you know possibly sway the judges his way obviously he ends up getting the victory that night but i still believe that casey kenny is probably top between top five and top 10 best scramblers inside the ufc especially when we're talking about grappling sequences and i think we're going to see it on full display here against uh song yudong the thing that i like the most though about kenny is his prove it is his improving striking and i feel like we have somewhat of a rudimentary striker here with song yadong who again really needs to trade in the pocket to have a ton of success i think we'll see casey kenny stick and move not to the effect of kyler phillips but get some solid combinations off get some solid body kicks off as he showed in the highly yellow tang fight and i think he'll have some success with that eventually leading him to landing takedowns whether it's in the first second or third round I, again, I really like Casey Kenny in this spot. I think he's going to be able to stay away from the big shots of Song Yudong. I'm pretty certain that we've uh, Casey Kenny's never been knocked out as well. Great train, uh, sorry, great chin, great durability. I've seen him eat some big shots in the past and continue chugging forward. I felt as though Nathaniel Wood was a little bit tougher of a striking matchup for him, and he did a very good job in terms of stifling Nathaniel Wood in that fight, but obviously he has more power that he's going to have to worry about here with Song Yudong, and if he can avoid that, I think he definitely wins this fight, and I think this minus 125 line is going to look like an absolute gift if he goes out there and uh, you know orchestrates a fight that 
is best for him, which is, again, striking and then grappling as well to get some control time. So I'm going to go with Casey Kenny. Casey Kenny by decision is going to be the way I go here, uh, plus 170. I do believe Song Yudong does slow later in fights, and I think we'll see Casey Kenny actually push him and start to exploit that Guardio later in this fight, but I just don't believe that Casey Kenny will actually find the finish in this fight. I do think that Song is quite durable, and I do think he'll be able to take the shots and stay out of any submission attempts from the black belt Casey Kenny. But in case you do believe that Kenny could take advantage of that gas tank, plus uh, 700, plus 800 for Kenny by submission, and then Kenny by uh, in round three, plus 1600 is a decent spot. But I think the one that I'm going to be going with the most here is Kenny by decision at plus 170, over two and a half, minus 220, a little bit juiced, but I think that both guys are durable enough that we'll see 15 minutes in this fight. How do you see this fight going down, Cody? And are you as high on Casey Kenny as I am? I'd like to be as high in Casey Kinney. I agree with all your points. The only thing I'm worried about is this thing is going to decision. It is going to be a close decision, and the judges could very well get this thing wrong. So that's what I'm worried about here is that, again, it's going to be relatively close the entire way through. Uh, whereas Casey Kinney, I favor the output. I favor the grappling. I mean, he's a guy that wrestled collegiately. He's got a solid judo base as well. I think he should be able to get this fight to the ground. As far as the striking goes, he's got the better output. But Song Yudong is a way of just landing these eye-catching shots. You know, he's is a good striker. He is only 23 years old. And being at Team Alpha Male, you know that he's worked with a lot of guys that have that same, you know, prototypical model as someone in Casey Kinney. These short, stout little grapplers with solid grappling, solid chins, you know, decent enough striking. So I, I don't know. I think it is going to be close. The way I want to attack this one, first and foremost, fight goes the distance, minus 200. I get it, but... I really think it's going full 15. Second of all is live betting opportunity for Casey Kinney. I think Casey Kinney will drop the first round. For whatever reason, I just think it's going to be close competitive, but he probably gets edged out slightly in the first. And I think second and third, as you, again, you already mentioned this, Kenny takes over. I mean, he's got great cardio, great durability. And with Song Yudong, he did win the third round against Kyler Phillips, who we know definitely has cardio issues. But the two fights prior, I mean, with him versus Marlon Vera, he gets back down, arguably loses the fight, and has a terrible third round. The fight with Cordy Stamen definitely arguably lost the fight and got completely backed down in the third round. His cardio hasn't been great. We can give him a pass on that he's 23, but you're right. He seems a little bit shop-worn. He's already had 20 professional fights. And being a Chinese athlete, there's no, I'm going to take a year off and get my skills better. It's just like they run him through the mill. He just keeps fighting over and over and over again. They've thrown him in there against some elite-level guys. You know, Stamen's no joke. Marlon Vera's no joke. And even though he's able to win questionably or at least be competitive, it's just too much too soon for him. And this is just another continuation of that. Casey Kinney's a straight-up badass. Casey Kinney's losses include a split decision win over Adam Antolin. Antolin was a stud in the time, but a split decision, right? A decision lost to Rob Devajvili, which I don't think anybody's going to fault him for. And a split decision lost to Dominic Cruz, a former world champion. And again, I, I thought he lost. But, geez, close fight. Good fight. You can make an argument that Casey Kinney could have won that. It's all. It's always close. It's always competitive. Knocking him out, good luck. Submitting him, good luck. And grittiness and durability seems to be a big issue for Song Yudong. He hits you with these nice combinations, but if you're still there and you're still marching him down, you start to work your way back into it. I think Kinney will do that. I just think we might be able to get a better line on him after the first. And if he wins the first, then I'm just going to hammer whatever they give me because that's going to be the key round. Kinney's not losing both two and three. He should pick up one of those two on the basis of the cardio and the pace, but winning that first round will be very, very key. And then, of course, Texas probably going to screw me so as not sexy as minus 200 is for fight goes the distance that's the safest way of attacking this one and then beyond that i'm going to agree with your assessment kenny by decision 
I like it. I, I do think that Kenny has a high upside in this uh, this bantamweight division, man. I think he could truly top or uh, crack that top five to top seven with a little bit more grooming, especially with his striking game. So I'm very much looking to see how he goes out there and performs against a heavy striker like Song Yudong. Do you, do you echo that sentiment? You think Kenny is a top five guy or could potentially be a top five guy? I think Kenny can hang with all the top five guys. I think he, Kenny can give a, a good fight to almost anybody on the basis of he's extremely durable and he's a gamer. But yeah, I do almost feel like he just mi- misses that one intangible that's going to get him over the hump. You know, he'd beat up his training partner, Sean O'Malley, no doubt about that. He beat up that ilk of guys, but 135 is an absolute murder's row. Yeah. And you you need that one thing. You need to either be able to, I can get these guys down, anybody down, or I can outstrike these guys. Kenny's a generalist. What's his best feat? Is he a better striker than he is a better wrestler? Is he is it cardio his best feat? Is it, is it durability because he's got a great chin? Like, what does he do exceptionally better than everybody else? Which is, again, when you look at Bantamweight, it's like, oh, Peter Yawn's got the striking, man. Aljamain's got that grappling. Sanhagen's got the length. TJ's got the juice. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it, everybody's got something that they bring to the table that's like a bonafide. And again, the low end of the division is like Jimmy Rivera and Rob Fawn, Cody Garbrandt. Like, those got Jimmy's got the kicks. Rob's got the jab. Uh, Cody, you know super skilled if he doesn't get punched in the face right those that that's world caliber that's world class caliber Kenny can fight all of those guys beats Cody Garbrandt in my opinion um he can hang with a lot of these guys he can do great but he could also lose to a guy like Tony Gravely like he could also lose to a guy that's a fringe top 10 top 15 contender on the basis of Murad Devashvili again if they run that fight back do you think Kenny does any better no so he's never going to really get over that hump who knows, dude? He's extremely talented. I, I almost always bet on him. I don't think I've ever bet against... Oh, yeah, I did have Dominic Cruz. Uh, and I and I might have thought Nathaniel Wood might have won that fight. But I had Kenny, and I was glad that Kenny got the decision. What you saw there, though, was something that Sung Yudong hasn't shown you. Tough, three rounds, gritty, 125 strikes landed either side. Kenny digs deep with the takedown. Kenny makes it happen. Kenny shows off the high ring IQ. Yeah, that, that's all good stuff. And obviously that beating he put on Haile Alatang's body. The fact that a human being could kick any object in this planet a hundred times, like <laughs> Kenny kicked him in the body, is impressive, man. I do think he's getting better. I think he's talented. I just I don't know that he ever challenges for a world title. I don't know that he ever cracks the top five. Uh, Joe Tadero is saying they brought out the box for Kenny and he waited in at 136. So let's see how that affects his performance tomorrow. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Tisha Torres and Angela Hill going at it for a rematch, uh, a fight that took place actually at UFC 188, the night that the heavyweight GOAT got choked up by Fabrizio Verzum. We got, uh, I believe that was June of 2015. Uh, now they're running it back, and we've definitely seen much improvements from both women, especially from the Angela Hill side of things, who was very green coming off the Ultimate Fighter. You know, I believe she was only 2 or 3-0 and at the time that she took on Tisha Torres, and it definitely showed in that fight that she just wasn't ready for the grappling, right? Tisha Torres had a tremendous amount of success with grounding that fight and just completely controlling Angela Hill. And Angela Hill even talked about it in her uh, the press conference yesterday. She goes, I was super green at that time, right? I didn't know how to get off my back i didn't know how to you know nullify uh, uh uh passing or or you know staying in the guard or whatever the hell it is so it's good that she's actually noticed that and obviously has made improvements as we've seen over our last several fights close fucking fight here right we got minus i believe minus 135 on tisha torres plus 115 on angela hill and it seems like one of those spots where you just want to flip a coin and just take the you know whichever side but you're getting solid plus money here on angela hill not to mention 
in certain spots, including Corbett, who obviously have an affiliation agreement with, they have Angela Hill by decision at plus 250, which I think is absolutely crazy, considering that both women's win conditions are probably, um, you know, the decision, right? So to have uh, money line on plus 115 on Angela Hill and then to have the decision pop at plus 250 doesn't really make sense to me. There's still other spots that are hanging that number at plus 200. Again, I dis- I believe that this fight goes 15 minutes. I think we'll see more improvements from Angela Hill in terms of making this fight or leaving this fight in the vertical position, in the striking position. And with Tishri Torres, we've been seeing certain spots from her in certain performances where she's relying on her striking to go out there and get the victory rather than going out there and trying to grapple fuck chicks. But... I'd be surprised if she doesn't go out there and try to engage in the grappling and try to overpower Angela Hill. I think she will, she will struggle with that, though. I think once this fight gets back onto the feet, which I completely believe it will, I don't think that we'll see Angela Hill trapped on bottom like she was in the first fight. I think she'll get back to her feet and let that volume start to go. And I think that that optic of her landing more strikes here should start to sway the judges again. Texas judges don't really know what's going on or, or what they're smoking or drinking that night, but it's definitely going to be in your favor if your fighter is the one landing more damage in this part. And I think that's going to be coming from the Angela Hill side of things. No big read. Like I said, I'm not going lock that I deep on Angela Hill or anything, but I definitely want to take advantage of that plus 250 decision line because I think that's a, an egregious error on their end. But again, all the books are putting it at that line. So, uh, yeah, I like Angela Hill here. I think she'll nullify the grappling of Tisha Torres, like I said, get her strikes off, and then go on to win a decision. I'm taking Angela Hill decision plus 200. I think that's a solid spot. Cody, you giving more uh, uh, giving more credence here to Tisha Torres, or do you think that Angela Hill has made enough improvements to get the victory here? Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a close fight, goes a decision, all that, yada, 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 but I'm going to go the other side and go with uh, Tisha Torres. I, again, I don't, I don't hate you. it. Plus, yeah, plus 200 on Angela Hill by decision. We're both agreeing this thing's going to decision. Why not have Angela Hill? But, yeah, I just, I'm not the biggest Angela Hill fan. It's nothing, it's nothing against her. It's that her style usually ends up leading to, if it goes to the scorecards, it's just going to come down to what did the judges like on that night. I thought she won the Claudia Gadelia fight. She outstruck her, and she happened to knock her down as well. But she loses a split. I thought she won the Michelle Watterson fight. Went five rounds. Thought she landed the better strikes. She thought she won both those fights. Judges disagreed. But this is Ashley Yotter fight the last time out. I mean, once again, this that was a rematch. A rematch that nobody asked for. Everybody thought it would go down pretty well the same way. Angela Hill would be able to stop the takedowns. Land the better strikes. She did exactly that. But to me, it wasn't like all that impressive. And Yotter represents a very low level. Like, there's not much there. So Hill kind of fights to the level of raw opposition. Give her a solid girl like Claudia Michelle Watterson. She steps it up. Give her a low-level girl. She kind of fights to that level. She's 36 years old. I know that she's been working on her grappling. I know that she has the output. But she seems a little bit not the most physical girl at the weight class. A little bit undersized still at times. And primarily, she relies on just the volume. The striking... She's a great striker, but if without the power, without the ability to finish your opponent, I mean, it's just going to be a lot of these 15-minute wars. Again, there's a lot that you can like about Angela Hill, but with Tisha Torres, man, I just think that she's still getting a lot better. She's only 31 years old, but this is a girl that's just in the gym all the time. You know, Her significant other is a professional fighter. This is a UFC family. She's been training at places like the top gyms in Colorado or the American Top Team. She's always been training at a world-class level. And whereas it did seem like, we talked about this uh, with Karolina Kovacavich, it's like she went through the same four-fight losing streak. She lost it Jessica Andrade. She lost it Joanny and Jacek. She lost it Whaley Zhang. By the way, she went the distance with all three of them. And then went the distance with Marina Rodriguez. It seemed like maybe she was a little bit burnt out. So burnt out that despite fighting four legendarily good fighters, she comes in as a plus 175 underdog against Bri- Brianna Van Buren. Plus 175 underdog. Because, yeah, mentally she's checked out. She looked awesome in that fight, man. Striking was on point. Physically, she's a specimen. 
and her takedowns were on point that fight. Now you go to the next one, Sam Hughes. Sam Hughes is not in her league. Sam Hughes is nowhere near her league. So what she needs to go do is go and outclass this girl tremendously. Now, Tisha Torres is not someone that finishes fights, right? She's a decision-type fighter. The majority of her prof professional fights, like 95% of them, have gone to decision. But she's so much better than Sam Hughes. You saw her in there. Whereas, I honestly think Angela Hill, eh, she would have diddle-daddled a little bit. She might have gotten the finish later around, but... I thought Torres looked on point, man. Again, physically strong. That takedown was just so well-timed. Very, very, very good timing. You know, shot right through her, basically. The striking, she just mauled her pillar to post for five minutes, causing basically Sam Hughes quit, right? The judge was like, eh, I'll stop this fight. And everyone was like, cool, stop this fight. And they let it go. But it's like, Tisha looked strong. She looked motivated. And so what we've been seeing is, um, let's say, Benil Darius versus Carlos Diego Ferreira. We've seen it before. They rematch. It's going to go down the same way. It does go down the same way. Hill versus Yodder. No one cared about that fight getting rematched. They fought already. It went down the exact same way the last time. Yes, these are all better version of themselves, but the, bl the blueprint has already been written. Tisha has won this fight before with the exact same blueprint. I can strike with you. I can, you know, out slightly outland you, and I probably will land a slightly, you know, the more eye-catching shots, but it's the ability to mix in that takedown. That should secure her those close decisions. So, yeah, listen, man, close fight that goes to decision. It's just I'm just gonna go on the Torres side of things, which is plus one ten. I like it. I like it. Again, this fight is probably going 15 minutes, so just go the the decision route if you're picking either side in this spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight, and this is where things really start to pick up on the main card, in my opinion. We got Vicente Luque going up against Michael Chiesa. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at uh, minus 115 for Luque, minus 105 for Chiesa. But Chiesa was like uh, just like Victoria Leonardo, plus 125 earlier in the week, and Steady Money has been coming on him to uh, push it to a pretty much a pick of odds here. Very easy fight to break down, right? You got Chiesa who wants to go out there and get this grapple fucking tour uh, on, on schedule again, just as he's been doing over his last three fights. And then for the Luke side, he wants to keep this fight vertical and try to get his striking going. Now, Luke BJJ Blackout, obviously very well-versed on the ground, but I'm just not impressed with what he shows off of his back. And I think that's where he's going to actually have, find some trouble finding any success against Kiesa if Kiesa is actually successful in getting this fight to the ground. I do believe there will be moments where Luke finds his way back to his feet and gets his striking going, but I think it will uh, ultimately come back down to Michael Chiesa finding that takedown and dragging this fight to the ground. He is a pretty big and strong 170-er, which is crazy to say, especially for somebody that used to make 155 or attempt to make 155. So I think the best decision Chiesa ever made was going up to 170 pounds, and it's pretty much working out for him, especially over his last three fights. And this has got to be the biggest fight of his career to truly, uh, you know, uh, um, vault him into like the top seven, top five of this division uh, and get even bigger fights, man. He can easily fight a guy like Colby Covington or Gilbert Burns, especially with the wins uh, win this weekend. I'm sure there's a built-in storyline already if he goes out there and beats Luke, if he goes on to fight Gilbert Burns after that. So that could definitely work out for him as well. Um, I do like Kiesa here, though. I do think that he'll be successful as grappling, slowing down Luke, pushing him up against the cage. Even if he doesn't land a takedown early here, I think he's strong enough to kind of push him up against the cage and, and kind of nullify the damage that's going to be coming back his way. Luke, a great striker. Don't get me wrong. I definitely do think he can go out there and put some damage on Kiesa. And Kiesa, you know, not the greatest striker, right? He leaves a lot to be desired there in terms of his striking defense, even his technique on the feet. It seems more so to eventually just, it's like that buffering period for him to eventually go for a takedown, which I think is, you know, more than likely going to be successful for him in this matchup here. I know we saw Luke go out there and stuff one takedown from Tyron Woodley last time around. And and that's probably the best wrestler he's fought up until this point. 
But again, that that Woodley takedown was just so weird. It was just right off the bat. Starts with a big overhand, closes the distance, pushes looking up against Gage, and then just really muscles everything, but is really not able to get uh, in on the legs deep enough to get that uh, takedown. I think we'll see Kiesa hide that takedown a little bit better than what we saw from Tyron Woodley that night. But I think there is some truth to the merit of Luke has not fought a legitimate guy that's going to go out there and try to grapple fuck him the way that Kiesa is, right? Just look over his last record or his last two, three, four years if you want to. Luke has primarily been fighting guys that are willing to go out there and exchange with them on the feet. Sure, they could shoot a takedown here and there, and they have shot a takedown here and there. I think Randy Brown landed a takedown or two on him as well, but I think that Kiesa is the best out of that batch to go out there and implement this type of game plan and be successful with it. So I like Luke, or sorry, uh, Kiesa here in terms of a specific uh, price tag, Kiesa by decision, plus 220. I think that's an amazing line. Uh, I think this fight goes all 15 minutes. Uh, I believe you do as well, Cody. I'm interested to hear your thoughts, though, in terms of how you think it's going to go down and whether Kiesa will be as successful with the grappling as I expect him to be. Yeah, this is the tough part. The difference between watching a fight for entertainment purpose and watching it on a gambling perspective, right? Vincente Luque has never been in a bad fight. All of his fights are extremely entertaining. He's a fan favorite. He's a crowd pleaser. How could you not like watching Vincente Luque fight? Michael Chiesa is... <laughs> Whoa, it is hard to watch sometimes, right? Yeah. It is just a bog. He will just grind you into oblivion. He's not trying to do any ground and pound. He's very rarely trying to cement you. He's just holding you down. And again, is it the most entertaining approach? No. And so as much as I'd like to see Luke go out and have an entertaining fight come Saturday, I'm going to pick Michael Chiesa. And for that, I need this to be a terrible fight from an entertainment <laughs> perspective. Michael Chiesa's striking numbers are like, it's laughable, dude. He went 25 minutes with Neil Magny, landed 24 strikes, four takedowns, 24 strikes. It's less than a strike per minute over the course of 25. Him versus Rafael Los he landed nine. It went 15 minutes. He landed nine significant strikes. No ground and pound. Again, he gets the takedown. Six of them against Dos Anjos. Uh, against Diego Sanchez. It's like that little drill you do at the gym where you lie on top of the punching bag, right? Still, <laughs> still, he only hit that punching bag 47 times over the course of 15 minutes. Like, come on, man. No output. Him versus uh, Carlos Condit, it ended in the second. Fair. He had landed 10 strikes to that point. So, again, there's no ground and pound out of him. If he gets the rear naked choke, great. If he doesn't get the rear naked choke, it's just going to be him holding on to you. Neil Magny could have won that fight on the basis of Neil Magny was a much better striker. When you watch yeah. that fight, Neil Magny was going to win those striking exchanges. Only Kiesa just closes the distance, gets a hold of him, peels him to the ground. As far as it going on the ground, you are 100% right in your assessment. This guy's a big welterweight. My God, is he strong. Very strong. And I think that, you know, again, at the fact that he made 55, no idea. But at 170, he's got more energy. The weight cut's taking less out of him. And he's been able to put more mass on that frame. He's, he's a big, tall guy. He's been able to fill out that frame, right? So there's things that you could like about Michael Chiesa, but it all depends on him just getting the takedown and grinding this thing to the ground. And I, I again, I agree with your assessment that Vincente Luque has been matched to have crowd-pleasing fights. He's not ever fought a wrestler. Not really. I mean, he's fought... Uh, Michael Graves is a wrestler. Michael Graves took him down seven times and won the fight. Okay, fair. Hader Hassan, brawler. Alvaro Herrera, brawler. Hector Rabina, no skill. Blah Muhammad, generalist. Leon Edwards can grapple, you know, he's a, he's a generalist, an advanced generalist. And Leon Edwards took him down three times and beat him. Nico Price, calculator brawler. Chaz Lepreze, 55er, striker. Jalen Turner, striker. Brian Barberina, just a grinder, brawler. Derek Krantz, <laughs> technically a wrestler, sure, but... Shouldn't have been in there in the first place. And Krantz did take him down, by the way. 
Mike Perry, Brawler, Steven Thompson, Karate, Nico Price rematch, Randy Brown, Striker, Tyron Woodley shot two bits. Nobody has really gone out there with the ability to just shoot takedowns, grind them up against the cage, and Kiesa doesn't care if you boo, right? He's just going to try to do the same thing, get you to the ground, take the back. So I'm going to actually agree with you. What I do like is fight goes the distance, minus 125. So if Kiesa wins this fight, yeah, we just talked about it, what he wants to do. He wants to secure takedowns, and he wants to just grind this thing down, kill time off the clock, and be the guy that's on top. If he wins, probably by decision. If Vincente Luque wins, Vincente Luque is an infinitely better striker than this guy. Way sharper, way better volume, way more punching power. That all being said, he probably doesn't stop him. Like, I, I got a feeling that, you know, Chiesa is durable enough. Chiesa's never been knocked out. He has been stopped to a cut stoppage against Joe Lozon. And, yeah, that's it. He got cut stoppage against Joe Lozon, and he's been smitten by Masvidal, Kevin Lee, and Anthony Pettis. And the Anthony Pettis won the most shocking of which. But that was the last time he fought at 55. His body's shutting down midway through the fight, and he gets submitted. He's looked way better at 170 since jumping up there. So, unless he gets caught in some weird Darce choke after getting clipped by something, I think Kiesa should just grind this thing down. It should go the distance. Kiesa, Kiesa by decision. Fight goes the distance. Going to agree with all those. Last thing I want to say is, uh, I don't even, it's not even a relevant point really, but... Um, we all, we're all saying how much better Vincente Luque is a striker, and he's leaps and bounds a better striker. Michael Kessler doesn't seem like he can grind that much, but there's no doubt about it. Vincente Luque tends to leave his chin up there. He tends to be a very hittable guy. Nico Price unloaded on him. Tyron Woodley, of all people, still was able to drop him. Mike Perry took him into a tooth or nail. Brian Barberena took him into a tooth or nail. He is super hittable, and... Michael Chiesa has never been knocked down in the UFC, and he has scored one single knockdown in his entire UFC run. That knockdown was over George Masvidal, of all people. You know? So, like, if you don't respect just his punching power and you just think you're going to walk right through him, he will land something before shooting that takedown. And Vincente Luque is going to have to be smart because he'll fight with his hands low, anticipating the takedown. I can see uh, Chiesa trying to mix it up. Strike, strike, then shoot. So, regardless, I think it goes the distance. I think Kiesa wins that decision. So fight goes to distance minus 120 and 125. And the Kiesa by decision, as you already mentioned, plus 240. Going to have a shot at that. According to some people on Twitter, it seems like Kiesa had a pretty bad wake up. Made the weight. But again, the guy's a big dude. I, I expect him to look bad on the scales. But hopefully it doesn't translate too much over into his performance this weekend. All right, let's get to the co-main event here. We got Jose Aldo going up against Pedro Munoz. Another fight that I'm very much excited for. We got minus 115 on Jose Aldo, minus 105 on Pedro Munoz. Now, uh, Jose Aldo actually opened up at minus 150 and has slowly been bet down to that pick line. A lot of people uh, loving what they're seeing from Pedro Munoz and think that he should be able to take this fight. But I'm actually on the opposite side here. I do think that Jose Aldo has enough left in the tank here to have a solid performance against Pedro Munoz. Now, Jose Aldo, fight mile is definitely up there, but He's only, I believe, two days younger or older than Pedro Munoz. They, they're only separated by a couple of days in terms of their birthdays here, and they're both the same age. They're both 34 years old. Pedro Munoz, very hittable, which is a big concern here, especially against a guy like Jose Aldo, who still showed that he can be competitive at certain times. If I'm not mistaken, he stole a, a, stole a round from Piotr Jan, which is absolutely impressive, especially considering that a lot of people thought that uh, Aldo was absolutely shot. Then he goes out there and springs a win over Marlon Vera. You know, it's 1-1 going into the third round. Then we go out there and see Jose Aldo pull off something we've never seen him do before. 
backpack a motherfucker for three rounds and he goes out there and does it successfully against Marlon Vera and uh, gets that decision victory so good for him to you know accept the fact that he's no longer the Jose Aldo of old and now he needs to transform his game a little bit more so that he can find some success especially at this point in his career but Pedro Munoz in my opinion the guy's pretty much okay good jiu-jitsu good guillotine um calf kicks leg kicks that's his mo pretty much and then his wild winging hooks like he doesn't really have any method to his madness with the strikes and i think this narrative of him being this crazy puncher for after that cody garbrandt fight is being completely overblown this guy had 25 minutes to go out there and take out frankie edgar Frankie Edgar, we know, is pretty much he just blew on his chin and this guy's going to go to bed. But Pedro Munoz could not find the button that night and he did land a good enough significant amount, uh, uh, a great significant uh, strike count to that fight. A lot of people thought Pedro Munoz deserved to win that fight, but is what it is, close fight. Always with Frankie Edgar when you're able to go a full five rounds and he ended up coming up uh, short on that fight. I think that this is a great fight for Jose Aldo as long as he remains conscious and I'm not completely sold on the fact that he's chinny or washed up or just way past his prime. Yeah, he's past his prime to a certain extent, but I still believe he's making do with the skills that he still has. Again, I think uh, Pedro Munoz is just way too hittable. Jose Aldo is going to be able to like kind of let go on him here. I think he should be able to do enough work in those first two rounds to at least you know eke out a decision. And I think he'll be serviceable enough in the third round here to stay conscious and actually make it to the judge's decision. So I do like uh, Jose Aldo in this spot. I think we'll see some good work from him early in this fight, uh, especially with the striking. And uh, Jose Aldo by decision at plus 180. I don't mind that spot, but even him at that minus 115 line, I think isn't too bad either. Uh, how do you feel about this matchup between these two guys? And uh, do you think that Aldo still has enough left in the tank to get it done? No, I don't. I don't think Jose Aldo does. Uh, listen, is he an elite level comp competitor? For sure. But I just like what Pedro brings to the table a lot more. Aldo's not the same guy he used to be. You know, I hear he made weight today and he looked really good. Obviously, I'll have to watch the weigh-ins once I'm done here. But he's shown an ability to make 135 pounds. That's not the problem. When have you seen him on make weight and not look good at 135? When have you not seen an Instagram post from him a week out of a fight at 135 and not look good? So we know he can make 35. But people think he won the Marlon Moraes fight. They're full of shit. He lost, a lot. he lost the Marlon Moraes fight. In the third round, all he did was move forward, not let his hands go. Got outstruck. And uh, it was a bad third round for him. The Peter Yan fight, he starts off good, like you're saying. Won a round over Peter Yan. Ends up getting outstruck like 174 to 86. Tired, hurt, knocked out. But I give you a pass there. It's, it's fucking Peter Yan. It's the Marlon Vera fight, my friend. The Marlon Vera fight to me is the most telling of all because he looked good in that first round. My God, boxing was on point, digging to the body. Turns out that Cheeto Vera is very durable, something that we all know. Cheeto Vera, by the way, almost universally always loses the first round. So that's that's not, you know, that's not crazy to hear. Jose Aldo looked good. It's the second round. The second round is a pure striking battle. Jose Aldo's tired. His strikes don't have the same zip on them anymore. Marlon Vera's backing him up. All three judges score the second round for Marlon Vera. The majority of people at home score the second round for Marlon Vera. This is a 1-1 going into the third. And it was a striking match. He beat Jose Aldo in a straight-up striking match. And Aldo's tired. And then in the third round, you're impressed that he backpacked him? What's impressive about that? He backpacked him because he knew if I stand in front of this guy and trade with him, I'm going to lose. So what he did was he got, saw an opportunity. He took the back. He put a body triangle in. And he held on for dear life for four minutes. He did not try to submit. He did not try to ground and pound. He did not try to advance position. He just fucking clung on to him to win the third and win the fight. Kudos. Kudos. Now you're taking on Pedro Munoz. Are you going to backpack Pedro Munoz? Mm? No. You're not out grappling Pedro Munoz. He's a far better grappler. He's slick. His scrambles are unbelievably good. 
Nobody's just going to hang on his back for four minutes. So you're, we're taking off Aldo's option off the table. So now we got a striking battle. Fine, that's what Aldo wants. Aldo will come out in the first round and he will look good. In the second round, he will start to tire. In the third round, he will be tired. Pedro Munoz doesn't go anywhere. He's got volume for days. You look back at his own resume and it's just... Especially his last three fights, man. His last three fights, uh, you go back to, say, the Aljamain Sterling fight, where it's like, oh, fuck, you're fighting the current world champion who's leaps and bounds faster than you. He landed 105 significant strikes. His next fight against Frank Yeager, he landed 166 over 25 minutes and did get robbed of a decision. He should have won that fight. And then against Jimmy Rivera, again, Jimmy's a striker. Jimmy's a balling striker. He's a badass. You know what he did? He stood with them for 15 full minutes and shit-kicked him 94 to 65 in the striking department. His cardio looks awesome. His grappling is awesome. And his striking, where it's, it's not, he's not an elite level striker, his pace that he pushes is incredible. Now, Aldo's known as the leg kicker, but he doesn't actually even leg kick anymore. Pedro Munoz is the leg kicker, my friend. His leg kicks are tremendous, and he'll just spam them over and over and over. And not only am I betting Pedro Munoz straight up, I'm betting Pedro Munoz after that first round, because I think Aldo will be competitive and maybe wins the first. Second and third, as long as the Texas judges don't blow it, it's going to be Pedro. He's going to win this decision. So straight up, Pedro Munoz by decision is plus 220. The fight to go the distance, minus 190. Oddsmakers think it's going the distance. I do agree with that assessment. I'll take that minus 190, but the guy I think is Pedro. And... I think it's going to decision, so I'm going to hit that Pedro by decision. I'm not going to discredit Aldo. I think he is durable enough to survive three rounds still. I don't think his cardio is so bad that he's going to turn into a punching bag. And yes, Pedro's not a big power puncher unless you're Cody Garbrandt and you just stick that baby right up in the air for him. <laughs> but uh, but I think he's just going to have the volume, the work rate. He's going to be coming forward. The Texas judges are going to like it. And as long as two or three of those guys aren't big Jose Aldo fans, I think Pedro gets the win. So plus 220 on the decision, I like me that. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how that second round plays out. That seems to be the one that should be the the determining factor yeah. who actually wins this fight, right? So it should definitely come down to that. And I don't mind the shot on Pedro Munoz going into the second round because he'll probably be down, like I said, or like you said, and you'll probably get some solid plus money on him there. I, I do see a couple of people talking about, you know, the fact that Jose Aldo is not leg kicking anymore. I've heard, you know, certain different things like he broke his leg uh, against a Cardo Lamas, a couple of different things. I believe it was actually after he had that motorcycle accident where he, stopped kicking as much i believe he suffered some sort of leg injuries over there and since then he hasn't really been kicking did kick in the page uh Piotr Jan fight a little bit found some success there as that was obviously Piotr Jan's uh kind of achilles heel in a sense especially in the jimmy rivera fight he was having a lot of troubles with the leg kicks there uh but yeah I i'd be surprised if he goes out there and out leg kicks Pedro Munoz because Pedro Munoz is now the jose aldo of leg yeah, kicking inside yeah. the ufc all right, uh, that brings us to our main event. Again, another chance for me to remind you guys, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then go check out Cody's YouTube channel as well, which is linked in the description below. But we are here to talk about the interim heavyweight title fight between Cyril Gunn and Derek Lewis. Uh, Francis Gunn, according to Derek Lewis, is over there playing in the sand uh, in Abu Dhabi. But you got to give Francis some leeway, right? The guy just won the title, had a good training camp. Let him do his little championship tour and then come back and uh, uh, fight whoever deserves to fight next. But... I get the UFC side of things as well, considering that this pay-per-view is taking place in Houston. Derek Lewis was going to be the one that was supposed to fight Francis Ngannou. It's supposed to happen this weekend, but they still want to keep Derek Lewis on the card. Should they have put an interim title uh, title on the line? Probably not, but 
Again, we know the gold shiny belts definitely help sell pay-per-views. Uh, and the fact that Amanda Nunes is no longer on the card either, you know, again, you don't have as much to really promote there. But Jose Aldo, Pedro Munoz in the Coleman event, you could do a lot worse than that. And then obviously a banger of a heavyweight fight between Lewis and Gunn should definitely uh, deliver here. So pretty binary fight to break down, right? Gunn is going to be winning 99% of this fight until Derek Lewis lands that ball. That's pretty much about it. But I think where the differing opinions here are, what is the method of victory for Gon, right? That's where I think is going to be highly debated throughout the, the fight week. And I've seen on other podcasts, people talking one way, talking the other. The spot that I like, though, is Gon inside the distance, man. I think he's going to go out there and we'll see that killer that Gon used to be. Now, why I say that is that people seem to forget, like, Derek Lewis does not wear damage well, but he does a good job in terms of coming back and getting a knockout and making those comeback victories. But his lulls, he looks so bad in his lulls between those blitz attacks. And now you have probably the best fighter that he's fought over the last several years going up against him. You know, great striker, great movement from uh, Cyril Gaon. Should be able to stay away from the big shots of Derek Lewis and then really start to take advantage of those lulls where Derek Lewis is kind of recharging and regaining his energy so that he can go out there and uh, shoot another blitz attack at you. I think the main factor here is going to be the body kicks of Cyril Gaon. I think he's going to dig to the body of Derek Lewis over and over again. It's going to slow down Derek Lewis even more. Derek Lewis always slows down. We that's just a, we can always always write that off. That's always going to happen. But I think now that you have a guy as as disciplined and as dangerous as Siragon, we'll see Siragon open up a little bit more here against Derek Lewis. I don't think just because his last two fights went to a decision that he's now a decision fighter. Those two last fighters, Jerzyna Rosenstrike and Alexander Volkov, are way more dangerous than uh, uh, Derek Lewis over 25 minutes in terms of... I mean, in, in the fact that... They don't have those lulls. Like you, right. Derek Lewis just has those lulls where he just kind of lets go and lets his opponent kind of go off on him. But those opponents are always ready or at the ready in terms of giving some offense back, maybe finding the chin, maybe not as big power punchers as Derek Lewis. Don't get me wrong in that aspect. But I just mean that they're going to always be ready for the 25 minutes and have the defenses up ready to go and give you some offense. Whereas Derek Lewis is just going to wait for those spurts and uh, kind of let go of from that aspect. So I think once we see those lulls from Derek Lewis and we see that body work start to add up here i think we'll see Gon eventually find that uh, that finish the spot that i like the most and the spot that i probably hammered the heaviest this week which is probably going to be my lock of the night is the under four and a half in this fight i like it at minus 180 i think it covers that Derek loose finish which you know that's probably the only way he wins this fight and i think it showcases that Gon should go out there and find the finish later in this fight you can bet all the round props you want as well round three round four round five for either guy here you're getting some good value on that but i do think it's going to be on the gone side gone inside the distance at plus 105 i like that as well i think that he's actually going to get it done and we have to as gamblers handicappers and predictors we have to take this the the public perception that people have of certain fighters and find the angles where we get a better shot at the lines. And I feel like this is a perfect example where everybody all of a sudden thinks that Gon is a decision fighter. Now he's going up against a stylistic matchup, which is great for him to go out there and get a finish. So I do think you will find that this weekend. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, gone inside the distance plus 105 and the under four and a half is where the most of my money is going to be going this weekend. Cody, you share the same sentiments or do you think that gone is going to go out there and play it safe and, and, and go for a decision? Yeah, yeah, he's definitely going to go out there and play it safe and potentially yeah. go for a decision and then finish Derek Lewis along the way. Like Derek Lewis is not fighting 25 minutes. That yeah. that in itself will lead to the finish. And uh, what you're saying about the lulls in between, you're 100% right about that. See, when you're fighting Yarzina Rosenstruck, he's got a ton of power as well. Maybe just as much as Derek Lewis. The difference is, is that like when you when you want to bomb in on this guy, it's like he's still there. He's still staring at you, still moving. It's like 
you know what? I don't want to over. I don't want to overindulge just yet. So he takes his time. He just keeps jabbing, keeps kicking from the outside. With Lewis, it's like he's got his hands on his hips and he's half curled <laughs> over. He's like, oh, oh, and it's just like ah, maybe I'll turn up the pace a bit. And then he, then he lands that shot. Kudos to him. But the UFC is actually matching up extremely good over his last uh, three or four fights. He just hasn't had to exert himself. He got he got knocked out by Junior DeSantos. Keep in mind, DeSantos is no longer with the promotion. He was on a bad run. He loses that fight by knockout. But then Blagoy Ivanov, like, not really a high-level striker. He's more of a grinder, right? And he yeah. only landed 20 strikes. Then he takes on Ilya Latifi. The dude's a 205-er who landed five strikes throughout the course of the fight was just looking to hold him down. Alexei Olenek, fuck, man. He's, like, 44 years old. Like... What was he going to do? And then he gets Curtis Blades, and you can't discredit him there. I mean, he knocked Curtis Blades out. But he was getting beat up in the striking exchanges prior to catching him, and it was just another one of your typical Derek Lewis fights. Did he make a massive comeback versus Volkov? Yeah. And was getting worked the entire time. Remember that Travis Brown fight? I swear to God he shit his pants at one point. He's like he's like holding his stomach, and he's like... <laughs> and the motherfucker still wins. He still wins. It's like the body language is just so bad. Mind you, it's in Texas. He's from Texas, sure, but it's not going 25. So the judges might as well just leave home early after the co-main because, uh, yeah, either Derek Lewis is going to land that patented bomb over the top or Gon's just going to pick him apart until eventually he's hurting and he's tired and he swells up against the cage and he gets put away. I mean, Gon is seemingly not a finisher. He's gone 25 minutes his last two fights. 50 straight minutes, you know, very lackadaisical sometimes, taking his time. He punched Alexander Volkov 135 significant times. That's a lot. You think you think Derek's just going to hang out for 25 minutes and get hit? Like, no, he's eventually going to get desperate and say, you know what, time for me to lead the dance. And it'll either work for him or it won't. It's worked for him many times in the past. On this occasion, I don't think it's going to work for him. I think that I think that you're going to have gone just, you know, control the, and dictate the action basically own the space in between way too fast better kick game that jab is just money and it'll eventually yield to something i think uh, our boy rockstar z got a pretty good price on fight doesn't go the distance i think that's a great play you've got the under four and a half i think that's a good move as well i took the gone by tko which was plus 150 you know he's got 25 minutes to get it but he's not submitting Derek lewis in my opinion although it certainly is fuck you know what i didn't even consider that what's the submission prop on this Submission prop on Gone is currently sitting at Gone by submission is plus 655. You know what? Now that I really think about it, just consider this at the very least. So Gone is actually more of a submission guy. When he first came to the UFC, he was looking to ground these guys and, and submit them. He submitted Rafael Pessoa with the first round arm triangle, and he submitted Dante Mays in the third with a heel hook, right? So since then, he's been fighting these badass strikers, right? Tanner Bozer is a, not a badass, but a very good striker. Junior DeSantos is a former champion, good striker. Rosen, Rosenstruck versus Volkov, perfect, all, all those. But he, we do know that he can wrestle. We do know that he's got decent grappling. Derek Lewis's biggest kryptonite is and always has been his takedown defense. Holy shit, does he have bad takedown defense. He gives up takedowns on the reg reg. But look at the last time he got submitted, which is Daniel Cormier. That rear naked choke was almost comical how Cormier set it up. He was yeah. just like, all right, dude, I'm just going to take this now. Derek's like, all right, dude, I'm getting tired. Just go, go ahead and take it. He just gave it up. So yeah. if you had so much ring IQ, if you're surreal gone and you got ring IQ for days, would you want to stand at bay with this guy for two, three, four rounds until he gets tired? No. Wouldn't you shoot a few takedowns? Yeah. You know, he tried to take Volkov down, but Volkov's takedown defense is pretty solid. In this case, it's like Lewis's takedown defense is not solid. 
you know, he's got a very solid path. I don't know if I like that TKO anymore. Maybe I'll just take the inside of the distance. Maybe <laughs> That's I just why I'm taking the inside, the inside the distance. distance. Yeah, that's why know? I'm taking that because there is the potential yeah. of the submission. Like, it's just will he go for it? That's that's the main thing. Is he is he scared he from what he saw in the last fight with Blades, where Blades just ran into that uppercut and just died, like somebody's saying in the comment section, or will he set it up properly and find that takedown? Yeah. See, my thing with Blades is that Blades knows if he, there was one issue with his own game, it's probably durability, right? He's been knocked out by Francis Ngannou, but it was quick. He'd been knocked out. I guess in this one by Lewis, he's been stumbled a few times. Even in his fifth round against Volkov, he was tired and he was getting hit, but he's super hesitant when he's on his feet. His striking is all predicated on like hit you, hit you, shoot the takedown. So he's got a lot of nervous, anxious like energy when he's standing. And I think he was so desperate to, I need to get this fight down right now, he just shot himself right into the uppercut. Whereas Gan is so comfortable standing. I mean, he yeah. does come from a Muay Thai base. He's uh, used to train with guys like Francis Ngannou, and he's fought in Yarzino Rosenstruck. So he's already fought this exact same mold of heavy power punching you need to be aware at all times he's fought that level and uh, he's done exceptionally well i think he will have success with the striking with the jab with those kicks to the thigh with the little body kicks mixing all that but why wouldn't you take this fight to the ground right if it was an avenue and it was the path of least resistance shit why wouldn't yeah. you now I don't like rush it hide, like sorry i feel like he could hide the takedowns a little bit better than uh what curtis blaze was because i think yeah, everybody yeah. and their mother knew that curtis was eventually going to shoot the takedown and derek was just waiting for it whereas gone you don't know he could just rely on the striking right yeah exa exactly and lewis tends to shell up a little bit up against the cage so if you can throw that jab throw the jab throw the jab get him to put his hands up high and then shoot under great you know i mean can he, can Lewis get back up? Yeah, he's got a weird get-up game where he's just like, oh, I'm getting up now! And he yeah, gets up! Fuck it, let's get gets up! up. <laughs> exactly. So, so, yeah, okay, maybe you're going to have to take him down a few times, but every time he does that, it takes a lot of energy out of him. The more energy he takes, the more he starts to get desperate, and the more he starts to get desperate, the more you can start seeing these telegraphing these shots. Can it still knock you out? Of course. This is not only MMA, the greatest sport in the world, where puncher's chance is personified, but... Is it the, the black? Is the black beast Derek? The, Derek the Lewis, best right? puncher's chance possible. Yeah. Derek fucking Lewis. Half right? of the tickets he's cashed were underdog tickets. So yeah. like, yeah, it's what he does. It's what he does. And if he gets me this time, then so be it. But I'm gonna put Gone as a top ticket play this week. And at the very least, if everything else is to remain intact coming to the main event, then you have an option to hedge out if you think that Lewis is that big of a power puncher. And for his odds, it would be an easy hedge out opportunity. But regardless of puncher's chance. The joke's already been made on Twitter, right? Like, Gon's, he's faster. He's bigger, faster, stronger. He's, uh, you know, he's got better cardio, better wrestling, better jiu-jitsu. And yet, yeah, Lewis probably still finds the chin and knocks him out at some point. Like, I get it. That's the joke. And beyond it being a joke, it's a pretty accurate joke. But I got to go with Cyril Gon. I really do. Yeah, for sure. And plus 400 for Lewis by KO. You can, you know, that's a really good hedge opportunity if you definitely want to hedge. And uh, gone is your last spot on the tickets. All right, let's get to everybody's favorite segment of the show where we're going to go over our three best props. But I'm just going to remind you guys, Ultimate Wayne Show is actually going to be going down in less than half an hour. Uh, I do have a flight to catch later uh, this evening, so I'm trying to get all my content done so I can finish packing as well. But uh, my, my cast absolutely blew up on me last night. So I was supposed to have two very special guests. They were not able to make it. Luckily, my guy AJ from MMA Experts was able to answer the call. It'll be just me and him solo going at it. 
after I wrap up this show, I'm going to go over and watch the Wayans once again and uh, just try to get an idea of what everybody looked like. And then I'll break down the fights one last time with my guy, AJ. Once again, that's going to go down at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. So that's just less than half an hour from here. Me and Cody are about to wrap up the show. I'm going to go stretch my legs out, take my dog out for a piss, and then come back and sit back in this seat to break down these fights for you guys one last time. So make sure you guys join us at 12.30 p.m. Eastern right here on this channel. All right, let's get into our three best bets. I'll kick things off as always as soon as my graph. There we go. Uh, first and foremost, got inside the distance, plus 105. I really love that spot. I don't think he's a decision fighter all of a sudden. Uh, I believe he adjusts appropriately based on his level of competition, who he's fighting, and stylistically how he matches up with them. And I think stylistically he matches up great with Derek Lewis here to eventually find that finish within 25 minutes. And also, I really like the under four and a half of that matchup just to cover up potential Derek Lewis Hail Mary knockout shot. Secondly, I like Casey Kenny via decision plus 170. I think he goes out there and outworks Song Yudong over 15 minutes, mixes in some grappling, showcases highly improved striking over his last couple of fights, and uh, hopefully avoid the big bombs of Song Yudong and then pull off a decision victory. Lastly, I'm going to go with Manal Cap, who apparently just missed weight by three pounds, which is not a great look. So uh, hopefully he can come in there and use that extra poundage to to knock the fuck out of Ode Osborne. But definitely not a good look in his third fight in the UFC, missing weight, uh, and with especially with his back against the wall. So you got to believe if he loses this weekend, he's probably going to get the pink slip because that weight miss definitely doesn't help. But I think his best way to win this fight is going to be inside the distance, plus 180. I think he can find the chin of Ode Osborne, put him out, or at least later in this fight, if Ode Osborne does have a bad gas tank, um, because, again, we just haven't seen enough of it. Uh, Cop should be able to take advantage and then eventually put him away as well. So I got Cop inside the distance at plus 180. Cody, you're up, my man. Yeah, weight misses usually go in the favor of the fighter that missed the weight. Yeah. So not the end of the world, but not what you want to see, especially a guy that's 0-2 in the UFC. I'm going to go Luke versus Kiesa. Fight goes the distance, minus 110 right off the hop. Again, I think it covers you both sides. is going to want to turn this into a grind, slow it down, score takedowns, at the very least press him up against the cage. And just make this an unentertaining uh, un fight. I don't even know if that's a word. All the same, <laughs> it would go 15 minutes. Fight goes the distance. Luke, meanwhile, he's a much better striker. But Kies is durable. If he can keep this fight standing and he can land some shots, I think he beats him. Certainly wins the rounds. But I'm not sure he has the ability to knock him out within 15 minutes. So I think fight goes the distance. Minus 110. It was close to even. Start off with that. Now let's get a little bit of plus money rolling here. We're going to go Fizayev by decision. Plus 120. Again, I hear the arguments for Bobby Green all day. I just think that this thing's going the decision, and it's going to be Fizayev landing the, the better strikes, the better leg kicks. He's, he's got more power, and ultimately Bobby Green clowns a little bit too much in there. He's fought in a lot of very close fights, a lot of fights he should have won. A lot of fights he outlanded his opponent nearly 2-1 to one, and still lost because judges don't like his style and kind of how he composes himself in the ring. So... This is just going to be a tough spot for him to overcome. I think he's at a skill a deficiency right off the hop. And then on top of that, his style is not going to be good for the judges. So give me Fazayev by decision plus 120. And then I got to take a little bit of a shot. My boy Pedro Munoz by decision plus 225. You know, I really like him this week. I've kind of outlined the reasons why I think he should be able to go out there. First round is going to be hell. It's going to be greasy. It's going to be a sweat. I can see myself losing that first round. It'll create a great live betting opportunity. But furthermore, I think the key rounds here are going to be two and three. Two will be close. Pedro's just got to make sure he wins it. Third round should be all Pedro Munoz. In a five-round fight, this would be a very easy pick to make. But in a three-round fight, I will admit, Jose Aldo still does have some of that, that GOAT status lingering around his name. You got you to gotta put some respect on his name. He is Jose Aldo. But everyone's time eventually comes. And I think that uh, Pedro Munoz is just operating on a much higher level. So 
fun-looking offering this weekend, and uh, yeah, hopefully things go accordingly. I would love, I would love to hit a three for three before I pass it off uh, for for the fight night cards. But all the same, man, I I definitely do love the show. I love, you know, the support that we've had for it. The community has been great, and uh, yeah, I just really appreciate all the feedback. Absolutely, as Cody was saying, uh, his next appearance is actually going to be for UFC 266, which is at the end of September, and I'm actually going to be out in Vegas for that one, so you'll be seeing me uh, streaming from the, a hotel room that night uh, to, to be doing this propping you up show, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, just a reminder, if you guys missed the beginning of the show, uh, the Fight Night shows are going to be, uh, Fight Night editions are going to be with me and John Stargarian, the host of the Club and Sub podcast, probably one of my best friends on MMA Twitter outside of Newsome Z, and obviously Cody uh, so make sure you guys tune in for those shows the first episode that me and him are going to do together is for the August 21st event which is actually the next UFC event uh, we do have a lull next weekend so no UFC next weekend we do have PFL and Bellator I believe Gegard Musasi is going to be taking on John Salter in the main event but uh, yeah still no UFC next weekend so I won't be putting out much content because I'll also be out of province and taking a break and just chilling with my in-laws and stuff so um, yeah Cody anything you want to say on the back end here and then I'll wrap it up no, that's about it, man. Hopefully we uh, right the ship from last week's abysmal effort as far as just the UFC car is a shit show. This one feels a lot better, so hopefully it's in the air for us this weekend. And uh, yeah, as always, love talk- talking fights with you, and uh, hopefully we can have another positive one the next time out. Hell yeah. No no long bombs for me this time around with uh, crazy round three props. I'll definitely there was be a few round some. three props that you did like, though, yeah. right? Definitely going to be sprinkling them. I'm definitely looking at the Carolina one, the Victoria Leonardo one, uh, Dos Santos as well, another one that I'm going to be looking at. And then obviously Gone. I'm going to be taking Gone round three, round four, round five. I do think that those are some solid spots as well. So on behalf of me and Cody, appreciate all the love, support. We got up to about 200 live viewers at one point here. People love this 10 a.m. start time. Uh, not entirely sure when it's going to be for the next pay-per-view, but we'll definitely let you know, guys know but in terms of the fight nights it's going to be Thursday 8pm Eastern me and John are going to be doing the propping you up show for you guys alright uh, good luck on your bets this weekend I'll see you guys in about 20 minutes when I go stretch out and come back with my guy AJ MMA expert to break down the fights for you guys one last time now that we got the wins uh, over with so make sure you guys stick on into this channel and uh, hop on over to that stream alright Cody appreciate you joining me I'll see you next month uh, and uh, viewers appreciate you guys checking us out and good luck on your bets this weekend peace out